Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody, welcome to tonight's Sheer. I want to thank everybody for coming here tonight. Tonight is Sheer 77 of the Let's Get Real program with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. And we are Zoycha to have an amazing program tonight. Told Rabbi Yossi tonight, 77. I Zion. I took away his gematria as always. Tonight, we're going to knock it out of the park Grand Slam. So we're excited. Again, for everybody who's coming, uh, I always say this is, a, this is a natural born program. It's from people telling people about it. And uh, I want to thank everybody for posting on their WhatsApp statuses and for sending it to their friends, for emailing Kal Mivakshi Hashem, putting it in little chats and letting people know about it. We appreciate it. And for anybody who's watching the YouTube uh, reclip of this, please click on the like button, smash the Menachem like button, subscribe to Coach Menachem's uh, channel. So every week when the, the new share comes out, every Sunday comes out Monday, Sunday uh, around 2 a.m. If Menachem's still up, if he falls asleep, it's Monday morning, depends on the schedule. And uh, you'll get a notification that it came up. You'll be able to watch it and be machazic. Again, I want to start off first with thanking all of our advertising sp- sponsors who promote us on all the digital platforms. Like the Lakewood Scoop over here for promoting us on Lakewood. Appreciate it. Special thank you to Robbie Andy from Chazak for, for, for promoting us on the Chazak channels. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital platforms. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night, Okay. Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, I muted you, so I'll mute because it's the mic is getting away. For anybody who's um, here the first time, it's every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Uh, we do a shir here. We have Muridik Rabbonim. Obviously, if you have Rabbi Yossi, we got the best of the best. Therapist, Muridik. We have unbelievable programs coming up. I am full now till February. So I'm just letting you know it's, we have a lineup. Get ready. So we're starting off with the best, and then we're gonna go chazak, chazak. So please let everybody know about it. Again, everybody wants to join the chats and the WhatsApp so you can get every Sunday the flyer and post and let people know that. Please uh, WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and save the number. And every Sunday I'll send you the, the flyer so you can let people know about it. I say not every share is for everybody, but uh, at least let people know about it. You never know what's negated to somebody else. It's a tremendous chizik when people know about it. Next Sunday, we're gonna have another amazing share with Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from Boca Raton, Florida. We're going to be discussing it. I think it's going to actually go straight from this into that. He's going to be discussing being an open-minded yid, not being into lock, locked into one ashkafa, but taking the best of all of them. Should be an amazing program, deep, very meaningful. If anybody, if anybody you know should you know really wants to get into this, it's definitely going to be a, a plat- it's a jump board from here to there. And Reb Ephraim, I spoke to him. This is like his big uh, zach right now. Really, really becoming an open-minded yid and mamish hopping around from all different different angles. Tonight we have the schus and honor of having, I want to say five times, five towns famous, Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky here tonight. Anybody lives in the five towns of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, anybody lives in Lakewood? They're like, who's this guy? And I was like, which coil is in BMG? So uh, we'll bring you out to the world and we're going to hit it out of the park tonight. We're going to start off first with an opening statement from our host, Harav Agoyen Atzadik, Rabbi Nachman, Coach Bernfeld, Shlita Yamoid. Such a covet. So I think I think we're we're up to number seventy-seven. I think it's time to say shkoyach to Rebusher and to Aronoyach. There's so much shkoyachus. People come here every Sunday night, and I'm sure everybody knows how much work comes in, how much work goes into this. 
but you can't see it when you're sitting here. All you see is people coming in and uh, there's always good, good content, which is amazing. Last week we had, um, we had an amazing show with, uh, about addiction and the feedback that we got was, they got was really amazing. Just an eye opener for many, many, many people. And that, that really was the tachlis of last week's, um, you know, obviously in an hour and a half to cover such a huge topic is hard, but a lot of people got to hear things that they needed to hear and learn where to reach out, which is really, really amazing. Tonight's, tonight's topic, I think the past few weeks, Bechlal, we've covered um, many topics, addiction, marriage, divorce, chinuch, anxiety, very, very important topics. But tonight, I think, who are we and what are we doing here is, is I think, a time to back up and take a deep breath to, to look at the bigger picture. Everybody has their own story, their own things that are going on. There are the things that are focused on, usually things they have to take care of and whatever it is that, that, that's happening as of now. But if you can back up a little bit, if you could, and take a deep breath and relax. And let's look at the full picture on the whole Yiddishkeit. Who are we? And what are we looking for? So if there are many different types of people, if, if you're somebody that you love this and you're into it, trying to learn and, and, and grow, which is amazing tonight, you'll hear a little bit more about it. There are many people who, they don't really have any questions. Now that could be coming from two places, either because you know it is what it is, and maybe they've given up a while ago, or maybe they're they're very stark in the munibatachan, very kalar, you know, whatever it is, and they're living, the mamish living with Hashem. But if you're here tonight, most most of the audience here, you know, are, are Mavakshim, people who want to learn more and we have the COVID with us to have, to have Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky. For those, like, like Asha said, for those who heard his name, are ready to hear from him even more. And then there are those who are here tonight, who are going to hear it the first time. But um, Mitz Hashem will hear a lot deeper. And we'll go, I guess, to, to get a little bit of more of a meaning of our, our full life, not only of the struggles that we have. And obviously, will help for everything that anybody and everybody is going through, whatever your story is, to be able to connect to Yiddishkeit and to Hashem in a deeper level. Shkoyach. Shkoyach, Kosh Menachem, a beautiful opening. Before we get started here tonight, I just want to mention again, Kosh Menachem is still writing the first book. We're in the middle of putting it together. Anybody who wants to donate a shear or wants to help in any way, please reach out to him at kochmenachem.gmail.com. We're writing shear one through 40, Rabbi Yossi. So you're 77. <laughs> we, ha we have time to get there. Again, um, I just want to say tonight, Sheriff Zool was sponsored and announced by a schuss for all Hatzala of five towns of Far Rockaway by a dedicated Hatzala member. That's number one. Number two, I don't actually sponsor the share tonight, and I'm doing the share in personal dedication for two amazing people. Rabbi Yossi, you ready? You ready? Oh, first of all, I'll mute him. I hope his mic is not. Okay, I'll mute you. Hopefully, the mic doesn't. doesn't uh... Okay. Oh, I don't know if you hear me? Yeah, I hear you, but I think when I. Okay. Hopefully it's good. So the first person I'm going to dedicate the share tonight is Mr. and Mrs. Ismo and Leah Rosenzweig, who I got to meet a few months ago. Amazing people. We got to spend a few, almost two weeks ago, we got to spend Shabbos with them. They are amazing people. Neo Hasidim, we call them. 
they have a, a house like a room of Vino, people coming in and out 24 7. I was there, the Bachman coming in and we're drinking coffee at eight o'clock in the morning. The guy's like, Yeah, pass the sugar. I was like, I thought it was a shul. I didn't know what was going on. People coming and going, amazing people. Shvizoicha to have beautiful, beautiful nights with all the kids. And Ruchin's Begashmis should have Mamish Kopluv, especially Ruby. He's so cute, that little kid. Secondly, I want to sponsor tonight's share in honor of the most amazing person that has helped me and my wife personally in a time of need. A person that I would say is smart, caring, and grew so much in her life and has helped me so many people, Mrs. Rena Kotner, that I, me and my wife, again, have a tremendous personal life there. Her and her husband, be blessed with Bashan, for Ruchnius, the children, the Anikloch and the Ir Anikloch. She has tremendous nachas. The shares will be for them and their family. Tonight, I'm going to read Rabbi Yossi's bio. Anybody who thinks he went to BMG, I'm going to read his real bio, who he is, and then Hashem will open up. Yossi Zakatinsky is the Murda Asra of Kol Mivakshe Hashem in Lawrence, New York, renowned for his unique ability to teach lofty Hasidic concepts in down to earth ways. Rabbi Zakatinsky is a highly sought after lecturer. Rabbi Zakatinsky learned in Yeshiva Shara Torah, where he received Smichum Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Kalman Epstein Shlita. Rabbi Zakatinsky is the author of Sefer Yamat Fila, as well as Sefer Me'ide Moed. I probably didn't say that right. Rabbi Zakatinsky lives with his wife and children in Lawrence, New York. I have you tonight, Rabbi Yossi. Open it up, but slowly, very slowly. The floor is yours. I'll do the best I can, slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. All right, so first of all, first of all, I have to thank you, Rabbi Asher, Rabbi Nachum, for having me on. It's a big COVID. It's a big, uh, it's a big schos. I might have to be able to speak to Yidden in such a way. By the way, is the, is the sound okay? Yeah? Okay, good. Gosh. All right, so we're calling this, who are we and what are we doing here? So <clears throat> let me explain a little bit why, you know, we have this idea of calling this uh, schmooze, this discussion, this uh, Fabrengen uh, in that way. So let me tell you a story. It's a quick story. The, um, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was the Rebbe Rashab, Rosham Dovidar Lubavitch. So he was someone that was a very, very, very deep thinker, very deep thinker, and was known that when he would get involved in a sogia, get involved in a, in a thought, he would manage to become lost in it. So the story goes like this, that there was one time where he was going on a walk and he started thinking about something in Tyra. And as he was thinking deeper and deeper into that topic, he started uh, paying less and less attention in terms of where he was going. So you know, his body just goes left, go right, and so on, until the point he finds himself in a non-Jewish part of town. He doesn't even know it. He's completely lost in whatever world he was in. And so he's walking and walking in this neighborhood and a police officer, non-Jewish police officer happens to notice this uh, rabbinic figure walking around the streets over there. And he, you know, uh, what's a Jew doing there? Rabbi doing over there. So uh, the police officer goes over to him and starts yelling and says, hey, hey Jew, who are you? What are you doing here? Now the Rebbe was so lost in thought, he didn't even hear him. So the police officer says again, hey Jew, who are you? What are you doing here? Still no response. So now the police officer, the cop is getting a little bit upset. So he goes over to him and gives him a little nudge and says, hey, I asked you a question. So the Rebbe Shab uh, is jolted back to earth and he says, I'm sorry, you know, what were you asking me? So he says, I asked you, who are you? What are you doing here? And the Rebbe Shab looked at him and he said, ask me again. So the cop's like, ask me again. Who are you? What are you doing here? And the Rebbe Shab said, Whatever the czar is paying you, I'll pay you double. If every day you come to my house and ask me those questions, who are you and what are you doing here? And I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. 
you know, outside of Moshe Rabbeinu, everyone has their own personal perspective when they look at the whole world, you know? Everyone has their vantage point. Only Moshe Rabbeinu's lens was absolutely crystal clear. Outside of Moshe, everyone's lens is colored by their own personal perspective. Um, what, what in, in my youth, you know, you mentioned in my bio, I went to Sharatara and, and uh, you know, my Rebbe is a common epstein, and that's where my Yanika comes from. But when I was young, I was definitely bothered by those two questions. Who am I and what am I doing here? And to me, the question was more than just like, as a religious Jew, as a yeshiva bachar, like I'm supposed to learn and I go through the schedule of learning and I'm supposed to become a Tamil Chacham. Those questions of who am I really? What is, in, what is a yid? What am I doing here? Like what's happening when I put on tefillin? What's happening when I wear tzitzis? What is Shabbos? Not, not what does Shabbos look like, not how to keep Shabbos, but what is Shabbos? Like what's actually happening when sunset Friday night comes to the world? Like what is that? Those questions plagued me. They honestly plagued me. And when I began to delve into whatever level I can of Pneumia Satyra, the deeper size of Tyra, Sefer Machshava, Sefer Chassidus, and you know, in that whole genre, which we'll again, we'll speak about tonight and figure out exactly what this is and how to really define Pneumia Satyra, maybe if that's what the questions, uh, if those questions present themselves. But when I began to learn in those sugyas and sort of investigate the answers to those questions of who am I, what am I doing here? I, I realized that what was really bothering me was something much more. And I didn't even understand initially like what my search was for, what was I looking for? I thought my, the, the search was just simply to get intellectual answers to my questions of who am I, what am I doing here? But I realized that what Pneumia Sattar did for me and what the deeper sides of Tara did for me was something that was went, went way beyond just answering those very profound and important questions. What it did for me personally was make Yiddishkeit come to life. It made Yiddishkeit come to life. And, and in a certain sense, again, from my vantage point, I think this is something that's incredibly, incredibly necessary for the generation. Now, let me let me explain. If I have a few minutes, I guess we have all night, right? But just uh, a few minutes to explain a little bit of, of what I mean. You know, when you sit back and you sort of try to analyze objectively, what are some of the issues plaguing the world today? And I say the world, I mean our world, the world of Tyra, the world of Yiddishkeit, the world of Yiddin that, uh, that know what Tyra Mitzvah is. What are the issues? There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues. But I, I think a major issue that's sort of when you boil it all down to one core Indian, a major issue that's plaguing the generation is a general feeling of numbness, a general feeling of, of, of engaging in Yiddishkeit, but Yiddishkeit being extremely just two-dimensional, where there's no, there's no feeling of, of any sense of depth and of real deep, it doesn't resonate. Yiddishkeit doesn't necessarily, unfortunately, doesn't resonate with many people as something that's literally something that is alive and breathing and is existence itself. And so let me try to explain a little bit of, of why that is. Again, you know, you said in the intro that, you know, we might go a little bit deep tonight. So let's go slow. Let's go slow, but we'll, let's enter a little bit. You know, there's such a phenomenon as you read the Sadaris, right? 
the generations, as we move farther away from our Sinai, as we move farther away from creation, things seem to get worse and worse. Why is that? Why is that? So everything in the beginning, if you had to define the beginning moment, whether it be creation, Harsinai, things in the beginning are very simple. Absolutely one. Let there be light. <laughs> That's it. Raises Barlakin. Everything is simple. As things move beyond that beginning point, the farther and farther they move from its origin, the more complicated things become. The world, as we move farther and farther away from our Sinai, as we get closer and closer to Mashiach as well, life becomes more complicated. Uh, there's Kalim, the Kalim Shainan. Technology is a part of that. Science is a part of that. Philosophical uh, inquiry is a part of that. Just every life is more complicated. There's much more nuance. There's much more complexity with day-to-day -day life than there was 200, 300, 500, 1,000 years ago. That's the reality. And so what happens when you have a complex machine <clears throat> compared to a very simple machine? Good example. Let's say you have a very simple machine, a 20-watt a 20 20 light bulb, a very simple light bulb. So how much energy, how much electricity would you need to make that light bulb reach its sense of completion, sense of wholeness? 20 watts. But now let's say you have like a huge complicated, you know, car or a tractor, you name it, some sort of machinery that's much more intricate and much more complex than just that simple light bulb that Thomas Edison made many years ago. If you try to use 20 watts, which is perfectly the amount of energy needed to complete a simple machine of that simple light bulb, if you want to use that level watt, that level of electricity, to give life and invigorate a tractor trailer, it's not gonna work. The amount of energy of 20 watts is gonna be spread so thin across that complex machine, nothing is going to come to life. It's like not having enough, it's like you have a big piece of bread and only a small amount of butter. It's gonna be spread super thin. The more complex the machine is, the more electricity it needs. Uh, I'll give you another example. Let's say you have a person who is bodybuilding. He's building more and more muscle, more and more muscle, and he's adding weight on, you know, and, uh, and normally he would weigh 150 pounds. Now he's tacking on weight, 175 pounds, 200 pounds, 215 pounds. While he's tacking on mass and his body becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and more complicated with more particular muscles and so on, then, then at the same time, his heart better be pumping that much more blood. And his neshama better be, more, more amount of his neshama better be invested in his body. If you have a person whose body is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more complex, but yet the size of his heart and the power of his heart remains the same as if he was only 150 pounds, then this person is going to feel lethargic. This person is going to feel numb. This person is going to have all sorts of problems pop up over the entirety of his body. And when this person is then dealing with the fact that his fingers have less sensitivity than they should, maybe he'll go to a finger doctor. And if this person might sense that maybe his, ear, his hearing is not that great, he'll go to an ear doctor. If he feels just tired and lethargic, maybe he'll uh, go to a dietitian. his diet has to change. 
But in reality, what's really the problem is, is that his heart is not pumping enough energy into his body. The neshama is not big enough for that body. As the body grows more and more complex and more and more large, and, and it moves farther and farther away from that simple origin point of that little baby in the womb, then as it becomes more and more complex, the neshama enlivening that body must become stronger and stronger and stronger and deeper and deeper and deeper. Another simple example, if you have a huge pool, a huge uh, cistern that you want to fill with water that's coming from a stream, a little, little trickle of the water is not going to fill up that cistern. Maybe if you have a little cup, a little trickle will fill that up and you'll feel complete. But if you have a huge swimming pool, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and there's only a little trickle of water that's, that's emptying out into that pool, uh, it, you're going to feel that there's something, a lot of things missing in your life in that, in that swimming pool. What you have to do, therefore, is to dig deeper into that fountain, into that wellspring, to get more water out. So when we, in our generation, the reason why there's, again, we could talk about this at great length tonight, but there are so many issues that are coming up, whether it be people falling into addictions or people falling into tithes, people falling into all sorts of craziness in the world. And again, there are situations where there's real trauma and real union that a person has to go to professionals for. But on a general level, when you just take a step back and you sort of put this in a context of history, what's happening is, is that the world has become, has become more and more complicated. And the problem is the heart, the neshama that's supposed to be generating life and, and invigorate that body and bring it life has stayed the same. What is the neshama of the world? What is the neshama to, to our collective body? The Torah, the Torah. But the problem is if that level of Torah that we're accessing is really a level of Torah that's enough to enliven a 150-pound body. But what happens when the body has become 275 pounds? Then all of a sudden, that level of neshama, that level of Torah, that was perfectly fine for a 150-pound person, is all of a sudden the person at 250 pounds is going to be feel lethargic. He's going to feel empty. He's going to feel as if all of a sudden the same Torah that was potent and perfect and whole and invigorated his parents and his grandparents, all of a sudden it's not doing it. It's just not doing it. And the answer that many people unfortunately, you know, go to is, well, it must be something wrong with Tyra. There's nothing wrong with Tyra. You just have to dig deeper. At the same time the body is growing, the heart has to grow. The neshama has to grow. You have to dig deeper into the wellspring to ensure that there's enough volume and not just volume, but also uh, you know, the, the, the energy of the water is breaking through the surface in such a way that will fill that Olympic swimming pool. Therefore, in a certain sense, what our generation's greatest struggle is, is also our greatest strength. You know, as I mentioned, there's such a phenomenon as Yerides Adaris, we move away farther and farther away from that simplicity of the beginning and things become more and more complex. But at the same time, we're also getting closer and closer to Mashiach. And you know, the Navi in Sefer Yoel writes, the Navi prophesizes this, that when Mashiach comes, everyone is going to become a Navi. Everyone's going to become a Navi. So what does it look like when you have, a, and, and that's part of what's happening, what we're sensing in the world right now, is that we're, we have people that inside of them 
our potential Nevi'im. I mean, if we want to believe, and Bez Hashem, it should be that our generation will see with their own eyes the coming of Mashiach, Bez Hashem. And I know that many people in previous generations have said, have spoken like that. We could talk about that too. But Bez Hashem, if we believe and we want to believe, the peace of Yeshua, that we want to believe and we want to hope that our generation will literally see Mashiach, then what happens when you have someone who inside of them has a little Navi or the potential of being a Navi and they're not given access to the tools necessary to cultivate that talent? What happens when you have a little Mozart, right? That's not given a piano to play. What happens when you have a little Albert Einstein that's in fourth grade and, you know, the, and by Sunday he knows already what the Rebbe is going to talk about the whole week. So we know that in a classroom like that, the biggest troublemaker is going to be that kid, the kid that's bored out of his mind, that doesn't know what he's supposed to do with himself the whole week because what he's being, what he's being taught is not resonating as deep enough for the potential that he has. In, in, in my personal experience, that's all, I can, that's all I can say. I'm not anything more than just my personal experience. In my personal experience, what's incredibly disturbing to people and what's very unsettling is being presented a very simplistic perspective of Yiddishkeit. Because every single one of our lives, whether it be in Ruchnius or in Gashmius, is complicated. Our psychology is complicated. Our physical lives are complicated. You get into a car, there's machinery, there's something, you know, uh, the phone by, by your Gid Anosha is constantly bringing you to a million places. There's, life is complicated. And when a person is presented a simplistic view of Yiddishkeit, and that's supposed to be the soul and be the heart for a complicated body that's incredibly unsettling. In my personal experience, what's actually comforting to people is to be presented and be shown a Yiddishkeit that's complicated, a Yiddishkeit that's nuanced. When I say complicated, I don't mean like a complicated Rukveger or a complicated Rukhayim. I mean a nuanced understanding of what a Yid is, a deeper perspective of what, of what a Yid is, a deeper understanding of what mitzvahs are. And when a person is given that opportunity to experience that even a little bit, not only do they begin to answer those fundamental questions of who am I, what am I doing here really, all of a sudden Yiddishkeit is now is then offering his collective complicated body a big enough heart where, where his fingers begin to feel again. And all of a sudden his eyesight comes back and his hearing is better and he has more energy to live a life where everything comes to life. Everything comes to life. And this is, again, just speaking from my own personal experience, this is really what I found when I began to get involved a little bit more in the deeper sides of Torah on my level, which was not only to answer those questions, but I didn't even realize the numbness and the, the lethargy that I was feeling in my ruchnias and in my life, b'chlal. And once I began to dig deeper into that wellspring and allow more of those waters and more in quality and more in quantity to break through the surface and to fill my life and to fill my Olympic-sized swimming pool, so to speak, then everything came to life. My Gemara came to life. My Davani came to life. Again, I'm not as if I'm a tzaddik. Uh, to whatever degree I was able to experience or I'm trying to experience. And that's, that's ultimately what I found with other people. You know, I... I, I tell this to people all the time, the guys in the shul uh, probably are sick of this already, but I, I usually ask people, you know, I'm, what am I holding up right now? So you don't have to unmute everyone. Sitsis, right? Incorrect. Incorrect. That's, this is not sitsis. 
These are strings that we wear to allow us to enter into that universe inside the soul and inside God, that's called tzitzis. That These strings are not tzitzis. These are a mechanism through which we get into that place inside of ourselves and inside the Rabbani Shalom, that's called tzitzis. That's what tzitzis is, that's what tzfilin are. Shabbos is a universe that we access when it comes Friday night by tzitzis and when you're Makabal Shabbos. It's not just another day which brings upon it new and different obligations. It's an entirely new universe. And that's ultimately what Panimah Satar is about, is about giving us the, not just the intellectual, you know, explanations of what that universe is and how it functions and how it relates to us. It's ultimately giving Yiddishkeit and giving life a big enough heart in order to feel life in every extremity. And that's ultimately what Yiddishkeit does. This is why, you know, I'll tell you the truth, even before we got on Zoom and I was thinking like, you know, how, how do I how do I talk about this topic? How do I talk about Panini Satara? It's like it's like if you had to talk, I mean, you know, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Asher, you put me in a, a in, in a difficult spot. What if I asked you to get up? You know, you have 15 minutes. Tell tell us why you love your wife or why you love your kids. I was telling you before. I feel like I have to I have to jump on a moving train. You know, like what angle do I go? What angle? How do I how do I talk about this topic? How do I talk about something which to me is life itself? Ultimately, that's all I can say about it. Tyra is life. Tyra is life. And Gemara Ashitaisvis is life, 100%. But what Primisa Tyra does is that it deepens that Tyra. It, 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 enlarges, it enlarges that heart. It gives that heart the energy needed to enliven the body, the complicated body we have. And that's ultimately our struggle in this generation. And it's our greatest strength because if we could uncover that, if we and we have the tools, if we can dig deep enough into that wellspring to really allow the full reservoirs of water to break through the surface, then we will mamish become the vian. This is why, in my mind, one of the greatest mistakes that people make in trying to explain the need for Panimis Satira is usually the following way: is usually, well, there's a lot of people that feel uh, out of it. A lot of people feel that they're struggling with their Yiddishkeit. And the regular Moser Shmuzin are not working in order to get them to go to shul, in order to get them to keep Shabbos. So we have no choice but to make a Fabrengen. We have no choice but to make a Kumzitz. We have no choice but to give a little Chesidus and a little Panimis Satara just to get them back online, just to get them back to total line. And then if, if that's what it's about, then the obvious next question is, well, what about all the people that are fine, that they're happy, their Yiddishkeit's fine, they're, they're, they're Shemr Shabbos, they're going to shul. The answer is why are we why are we drawing the line? Why is our standard to be Sharmish Shabbos? Why is our standard that we should just be able to do Dafyaimi and we should become good Yidin and not go to hell? Why is that the standard? We, as Yidin, we should want to become Nevi'im. We should want to become Ayvde Hashem, real Mavakshi Hashem. Rahmanis, why for such for that little Albert Einstein, if you know the Kaichis that Albert Einstein has, and if he were to say to you that he's fine with just being a, you know passing grades in mathematics. That's a tragedy. That's mamish a tragedy. That's what we're doing as Yidin. We don't know who we are. We have no hasaga of what type of infinite kaychis we have. And to settle for just being Shemr Shabbos, and to settle for just being people that officially keep mitzvahs, that's so unbecoming to who we are. What if Yeshaya Hanavi said, you know what, it's good enough to be Shemr Shabbos. 
the, the, what's, what, what is compelling us to discover deeper elements of Torah to help those Yidin that are struggling with their Yiddishkeit is absolutely vital for everyone to get to that next level of becoming a Navi. And I, I, I know it sounds like crazy, becoming a Navi. Yes, becoming a Navi, having Ruch HaKadosh, these are things that are not beyond the scope of Nishmas Yisrael. And to think for a second that we're not capable of that is belittling your own dignity. Digging deeper into Yiddishkeit and enlarging that heart to enliven the big body that we have not only will help us fight the numbness and the sense of depression and the susceptibility of Tivus and of the internet, all these things that, 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 that might take us to wrong places, but if you have that heart, then you can manage become an unbelievably great and deep person. And that's the goal. The goal is not to be Shem Shabbos. The goal is to become Avdeh Hashem Bemis and Pnimis Dikayidin. That's what we want to have. And again, like I said, I'm just speaking from my own personal lens, which is colored by my personal Nigias and my personal experience. That's all, you know, you have me on. That's uh, part of the deal. You know, you're going to have to deal with my own personal Inyanim. But that's, uh, that, that's in, in a nutshell, to me, what Pnimis Atar can do and what I'm trying, I'm trying to have it do for myself, and what I try to have it do for my chaverim and 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 you know, the that uh, that we learn together to to to, to try to grow. It, it's ultimately it, it's it might by some people it might begin with that question of who am I, what am I doing here. For other people, it might begin with the question of I want to feel Yiddishkeit. What could I do to feel? At the end of the day, it boils down to to one thing, which is giving yourself a big enough neshama to enliven your guf, to enliven the complex life that you have. And that will solve ultimately, really, all of our problems. Again, there's always specifics that need particular, you know, instruction and guidance. But I believe, and the tzaddikim has said, this is the remedy of all remedies. It will enliven every aspect of our Yiddishkeit. And ultimately, it will allow us to soar to levels that we were, did not know we're capable of. And that's the beginning of this process is ultimately to believe that you're capable of great things. So listen, I could keep on going on, but I think this is about uh, questions and answers. So I guess uh, the monologue, I guess, will uh, end with that and uh, you'll go on whatever you want. opening. Everybody's watching. We're going to get deep into it. Night's a deep night. You have to like really be there. You know what I mean? Let's do it. We opened it slow. Let's go. Don't worry. We have it all. We have it all pre-planned. It's all. This is not live. This is recorded. So don't worry. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people are texting questions. Let's. You, you just touched on the chira yidia, things being pre-recorded. I'm not sure. You know, you're ready. You're you're opening Pandora's box. Everything. everything. That's what I meant. Obviously, this is live, but everything is pre-recorded. Exactly. Okay. Um, you have a lot of questions. Let's just break it down over here. For anybody with Zechter, Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky here tonight. Again, people don't know him. I'm telling you from Spalm, people that know him, they they love him, but they, they, he's taking the Yiddishkeit to different levels. I've heard some people that were, that were disconnected or didn't feel anything, felt numb. They're mamish mevakshe, and they 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 thrive on connecting to Hashem. So we would like to have him tonight. Anybody who has any questions or any general questions, just ask. You have the opportunity to ask. That's why we're here tonight. We're here to let's get real. The program was built for him. Let's be real. That's what the program is. So let's let's do it. Um, anybody wants to ask a question, text Usher Parnas here on the thing. Obviously, live questions go first. Zakatinsky, we're going to give you a two-minute break. I'm going to do a poll, and we're going to feel from the oil. You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. Two questions. Answer, answer MS. 
with what do you associate a deeper level of terror? There's four options. Levitation, right? You could obviously levitate. It's a very deep meaning. Option two, palm reading and kameas. I have a bunch. Uh, option three, having a Yiddishkeit that is tangible and more real. Option four, going crazy and letting loose, just dancing and just feeling it. It's a geschmack, just getting wild. Second question. What do you think is the biggest problem facing our current generation? You can't answer all four. It's got to be the best of the four. Number one, internet, social media. Number two, not feeling anything. Number three, superficiality. Number four, a lack of real of feeling really connected to Hashem. Those are the two questions. Answer them. It's anonymous. We just want to get a feeling. And then um, we will take it from there. I'm going to be honest with everybody tonight in the share. We sent out the share. We said, what are we here? What are we doing here? We got very few emails. Some were somewhat. The, ch the, the chat is going off the roof after you spoke, obviously. I got a few emails totally to the left. We got a few good ones. Me and Menachem worked on some of the questions there. So it was, was an avoida. Just being straight. Sometimes we get a tremendous amount of emails. I think people don't even know where to start. But now we're getting warm. Just okay. let, it, let it warm out. Okay. I'm waiting for the Talmudim to say, Higir is my creational chakra. So I have nowhere to go. So That's right. we, we can take whatever we want. Okay, let's share, let's share the results. Okay, so guess what? Um, what do you associate a deeper level of Torah? 3% of people say levitation. I'd like them to please call me later. Um, number 1% <laughs> of people is palm reading and Kameas. 93% of people, I guess, heard their speech, having Yiddish head that's more tangible, more real. And 3% of people is going crazy, letting loose. So obviously the the oil feels having a more tangible Yiddish guy, more real. We have we have the right oil here. Okay, second question. What do you think is the biggest problem facing our current generation? 16% of people say internet, social media. 12% of people say not feeling anything. 22% of people say superficiality. And a whopping 51%, a lack of feeling really connected to Hashem. So based on the polls, Rabbi Yossi, I think this is why we have this year tonight. I yeah. think this is why we're here. And I can exit out of the screen and we can go straight into questions. I'll start with a few questions. Again, anybody who wants to ask live, should we start with live? Okay. We're going to start first with a live question. Okay. Okay, you're on. A beautiful, beautiful uh, speech, Rev. Um, I just want to know you're talking a lot about more like to men, you know, you have to wit sits and fill in and everything and dive in and whatever. What advice can you give to women who? Um, also would love to grow stronger and are from, but need to grow stronger in, in Yiddishkeit? It's a very, very, very important and good question. It's, uh, it's a very, very important question. So I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. Women, and this is, you know, I, I, I hope all the men that are listening will forgive me. But the truth is, women are much more sensitive to what Pnimi Satira really means as opposed to men. You see, ultimately, ultimately, like I was talking about before, Tyra is not about, you know what? Here, let me take it like this. Let me, let me, let me, let me be very Jewish right now, and let me answer your question with another question. What is Tyra exactly? Like, what is Tyra? What is the definition of Tyra? See, if, if one, you know, one might think that, you know, what Tyra is, is instructions about how to live our lives. 
Okay, that's true, but it's not the full answer. There's a lot of aspects of Torah which are not practical, not halachic. So what is Torah then? So maybe Torah is, maybe Torah is what Hashem wants, what his, Hashem's will. But you know what? Clearly Hashem wants there to be such a thing as gravity, right? So really what's the difference between studying the rules of gravity and studying the rules of, uh, of mezuzah or studying the rules of Shabbos? Shabbos is something that God wants and gravity is something that God wants. What really is the difference? So let me tell you something, the definition of Torah. And when I, when I, when I tell you, again, based on what, what the summer edition tell us, what Torah is, you'll see that women in particular are deeply, deeply connected to the essence of Torah, and men might have a harder time really getting it. There are two types of conversations people can have, right? Two types of conversations. There's one type of conversation where, you know, let's say between coworkers, where that conversation is really just about information. It's about information. Uh, one person has a piece of information he wants to share or she wants to share with the other person. So you say something to give over that information. That's one type of conversation. That's one type of, one type of word. Words that are simply about giving over information. There's another type of conversation. The other type of conversation is not so much about the words it's not even so much about the information, but it's rather about the speaker, the person saying the words, giving themselves over to the listener. For example, when you have, let's say, you know, a young couple that are dating, a guy and a girl, Bachar, you know, Bachar and a Bacharet, they're dating. Very often, what stops the relationship from progressing and what guys struggle with, let's say, on a first date or a second date, is that when they're having the conversation with the girl across the table at the Starbucks, whatever, is that they're thinking in terms of conversations about information. I have to learn about how many siblings she has. I have to learn about what seminary she went to. I got to learn about her aunts and uncles, and I have to make sure she learns about my aunts and uncles. And that's very nice. Of course, a relationship needs information. You need to know about the other person to have that relationship. But we all understand, and women are much more sensitive to realize this, is that ultimately that's not what the conversations really are. That's not the purpose of the conversations. Of course, what you're saying are, is informational. But the point of the conversation is to give yourself, is to present yourself, is to, make, is to open yourself up to really come in contact with who that person is. And that's where a relationship is built from. It takes a certain level of vulnerability it takes a certain level, an extreme level of honesty to do that. Hashem said many things. Hashem said, let there be light. Hashem said, let there be gravity. Hashem said, let there be physics. And then Hashem said, Hashem said, keep Shabbos. Hashem said many words, but there's two types of conversations Hashem had. There's one conversation Hashem has with the world, which is just about the information. Just about the information. The Rabbana Shalom talked to the universe, so to speak, about gravity. And whatever Hashem says comes into reality. So Hashem made gravity by talking about it. Hashem said he wants light, so he talked about light, and light comes to the world. But God's not in that conversation, you understand? He's not, the point of that conversation, the point of those words was not giving himself over. The definition of Torah is words that the Rabbani Shalom communicates through which he's giving himself over to us. Now, this is where men and women have very different strengths. 
when men engage in Tyra, it, we very often fall into the mistake of getting lost in just the conversation itself. Whereas women are much more sensitive to the speaker, to the person that's trying to be expressed through those words. This is why, for example, women are much more naturally inclined to excel and to be open to davening as opposed to men. Men struggle with davening very, very much. People come to shul and they talk during davening, unfortunately, and part of it is because they don't know what to do. Like, what, what is that? See, Torah, when a person learns a black Gemara, it's very easy to just focus on the information. But the purpose of learning Gemara, and again, this is whether you go with Reb Chaim or the Baal Shanta, this is not a point of, we can talk about that also. This is not a contentious point between Hasidim and Misnagdim. But everyone agrees that what's happening when you learn a piece of Gemara, when you open up, or when you do any mitzvah, is not just the conversation, it's not just the words. You're, you're connecting with the one that spoke those words. And women in particular are very, very sensitive to that truth. Men, not as much. So when we talk about Pnimi Satara in terms of it being informational, you're right. Very often women might feel outside of that conversation. But if we dig deeper and we appreciate what Tyra is, and we appreciate therefore how what Pnimi Satara is, because what Pnimi Satara is, is also conversations and information that Hashem gave us, but information that's much more um, that that is is that that gives over the one that's saying the information in a much more profound way. In other words, if if you have very sensitive ears, you could build a relationship by having a conversation about what the guy does for a living. But if the person then speaks about his own upbringing, his background, his fears, his hopes, his dreams, that's a conversation which opens the person up in a much greater way. So every information of Torah, every piece of Torah is not just information. Every piece of Torah is about Hashem presenting himself to us. But some conversations, some discussions of Torah lend themselves to feel the speaker and feel the, the person, the feeling the rabbinic level and talking to you in a much more profound way. When we get hyper-focused on the information, women might feel outside of that conversation. But when we appreciate what Torah is, what Pneumus Torah is, which is information and a conversation through which it's about connecting to the one speaking to you, that's something that women have an access to, sort of a shortcut to, in a much more profound way than men. So in a certain sense, women get this much faster than men. And in a certain sense, therefore, it's not necessary for them to to get hyper-focused on the informational side, although that's necessary for every thinking person, every thinking Jew, 100%. But these discussions of Pneumia Satara is something that men have to, be, have to be convinced of. Women feel it, and it resonates as true, because the neshama of, a, of an akeva, the neshama of a woman, the nature of, of the neshama of Neshe Yisrael, of the nice Yisrael, is such that they're very, very sensitive to this other type of conversation, which is not about the information, not about the, the context, but about the speaker trying to forge that relationship and present himself in a, in a way that's almost tangible. And in that way, women have a very, very strong potential to connect to the very root of what Tyra is about. And therefore, for, for a woman, 
the more a woman davens, the more a woman talks to Hashem in her own language, the more a woman does mitzvahs with a cognizant awareness and a consciousness of why am I doing this, that while I'm doing this, Hashem is speaking to me, Hashem is with me, Hashem is, I am connecting myself to the infinite one by performing this act of lighting Shabbos candles, women will intuitively and, and it, by their very nature connect to that truth and to that heart of Yiddishkeit in a very, very strong way if they allow themselves to. One of the great tragedies is for women to think that they have nothing to do with these types of discussions. It's quite the opposite. Most men can learn a lot from, from women in this way of, of, of being able to perceive and being sensitive to what's being said between the words, what's trying to be conveyed, you know, sort of in the, in the, in the silence of the sentences and in, in those, in those uh, pauses between words. Women that are much more sensitive to that have a lot to teach us. In honesty, you should be the one, you know, the Shei Yisrael should be the one presenting this type of shmuz. No, I'm a guy, so I get caught up in the details. I get caught up in the information. It's but that's but uh, but for a woman to think that she's outside of this discussion, quite the opposite. To daven with dvekas, to do mitzvahs with dvekas, that's something that's much more natural for most women than it is actually for most men. If you don't grab a second, this game. powerful. Okay, you're on live. So I have a question that uh, I'm not really sure the most appropriate way to ask this question. But essentially, if this was a safer, right, if this whole mahalach was a safer, so what's farim, etc., what's farim should yeshivas, you know, shuls, you know, what should they teach Bakram? What should they teach Balabatim for them to have a deeper dikas takadish baruchu? Is it just learning Mesil Sharm in a more panemistic way? Is it learning Ravicha Meyer? Is it Lakuti Maran, Tanya, Naimalimelch? What is it? that the Olam should be learning. What, what's Svarim? Because you have a lot of Mechlaikis. You learn the Kutimaran in one yeshiva, then they kick out that Rebbe, then Tanya, then this and that. So what do you do? How are you supposed to convey this to the Olam? My question. I love the question. I love it. See, I thought, I'll tell you the truth, I thought we'd have to ease our way into these discussions. You know what I'm saying? You have to sort of beat around the bush a little bit. Straight to the Let's point. Let's get real with Mevach Shei Menachem. The truth is, it very way, much. I have, I have, I have a few Lubavitchers saying Tanya, Tanya, and a few Russians say Lukut Miran. So, yeah, we got it, we got it. <laughs> See, that's. I, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. That's why I. Um, people have a hard time pegging me down. Like, who am I? You know, what I'm saying Lubavitch, Breslov, Litfish. This very much has to do, I think, with Bez Hashem. What next week, Rebecca from Goldberg is going to be discussing, which is the complexity of the neshamas in our generation. I'll tell you like this, it's necessary to, to, to answer this question, you gotta have a little bit of, a, of an introduction to appreciate something. Um, it used to be, it used to be in earlier generations, this is something that we have from the Balatanya, who said this from the Mizrucha Magid, that in earlier generations, neshamas were very simple in terms of where they were coming from. You have, you have different Shoroshi neshamas, different roots, different neshamas. You have neshamas that are Avram Avinudik, neshamas that are Yitzchak Avinudik. You have neshamas which are Litvish, neshamas which are Chassidish. You have neshamas which are Breslov and Chabad and, and Ger and Ishbit. There was such a thing. The Balatanya said in the name of his Rebbe, the Mezutra Magid, that as we get closer to Mashiach already in his day, he said the neshamas are becoming much more complex and interconnected the point of where it's very difficult to discern, are you a Kayan Dikin are you a Hevel Dikin 
Where's your neshama coming from? And by the way, just on the side, this creates complexities in Shaduchim also. Without going into the reasons for the Shidduch crisis and all that stuff, but in a pneumistic way, one of the major factors involved in why people struggle with Shaduchim nowadays is because neshamas are much more complicated and to find a perfect match with all of the different nuances for each one, it's extremely complicated. So with that being said, it's incredibly difficult, almost impossible to be able to say one size fits all. Everyone has to has to start with this particular safer. I'll tell you the truth. I, you won't hear from me. Uh, you know, I don't think I've ever said it. I don't plan on ever saying it. That everyone has to learn chesidus. That everyone has to learn uh, kedusha slavi. Everyone has to learn tanya. That's not where I'm coming from. I I personally don't believe in that. I think that there is a chelik of everyone's neshama which tanya will resonate deeply. I feel there's a chalik in everyone's neshama that Mesil Sisharm will resonate deeply, and so on and so forth. Practically speaking, therefore, it's very it's very difficult to give a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, the way I would go about it is to think of it as like when you go to a shmorg, when you go to a wedding. When you go to a shmorg, by the wedding, so they give you a little plate, right? And you go and you try something. Now, let's say you have a guy that he has a little plate and he goes and tries the first thing and he doesn't like what it tastes like. So he decides, you know, so finish the whole thing. Finish. Uh, it's not for me. I'm not gonna, I don't like the food. Shaita, you fool. They gave you a little plate to try different things. You don't like the first thing, so put it down and try the next. There are some nishamas that are that will be inspired primarily from understanding, from understanding the questions of who am I, what am I doing here? That's called a neshama, that's a maskil, it's more of an intellectual neshama. There are certain neshamas that what's going to touch them deeply and initially is not going to be the intellect, but rather a, a, a an experiential, you know, a picture that's painted to them of what of what film, what hanachas tefillin can feel like. That will resonate. Other neshamas, what will resonate to them is an experience with a tzaddik. That's another type of neshama. And every single one has these nuances and these complexities. And by the way, to make it even more complicated, it changes from time to time. You could have a person who, for a particular amount of time in their life, what speaks to them and what resonates with them deeply is more the intellectual side of Panini Satire. And then all of a sudden, doesn't do it anymore. And the person will invariably look at themselves and say, well, this is what you call Yerida. I guess I'm a... I guess I'm a yoyrit. I guess I'm not inspired anymore. But the truth is, all that's happening is that his neshama is like shifting a little bit. And the seichel part is becoming less dominant. And maybe the avoida part is becoming more, more uh, apparent on the surface. And then the person has to shift gears and then learn svarim that will speak to that part of the neshama that's now surfaced. And it's complicated. To, to give a, 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 um, a curriculum that is a one-size-fits-all for yeshivas and so on, extremely difficult. If, if I was forced to make one, I guess I would have to make one. But, but ultimately, what I usually tell people is treat it like a shmorg, try things out. As long as you're learning for the purposes of connecting to Ein Saif, for the purposes of, of connecting to the infinite one, to the one that's speaking through the pages, not just the information, but trying to use the information to reattach yourself to the one that gave you the Torah, then guaranteed at some point you will find 
the uh, what's being served at the shmurg that will be appealing to you. And don't forget about the svarim that weren't appealing to you. Eventually, you'll go back to them and you'll find depth and beauty in them as well. But it, 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 there's no question about it that there is something um, something beautiful about a person who's like a sabmer chassid. This is what they know. This is what they do. And it resonates is absolutely true for them. That's a beautiful thing. But I think for the vast majority of people, we're too, we're, we're too nuanced. And the neshamas are too multifaceted to be able to be given for 120 years, I'll call upon him, a one, a one colored approach to even Pneumia Satara. It has to be multicolored. And when a person goes with that, it will be frustrating in the beginning. It will, trust me, it will be frustrating in the beginning because you'll hear lots of things and they'll feel as if they're, they're contradicting each other. It'll feel like you're even, um, like make, bringing more questions upon yourself than you even thought you had in the beginning. But one of the most important qualities that one needs to have when you're engaged in this discipline of Pnei Satira is patience. Patience and humility are the two most important midas that you have to have. You have to be able to be patient, to be able to read through things that you don't really have, you don't really understand what you're reading. You have to have patience to wait till that vart or till that safer resonates as really something that speaks to you. And slowly but surely, you'll be able to put the hodgepodge and the, the puzzle of your neshama together. But it takes patience and it takes humility. Like I said, there's no simple answers to this question, but that's, if you're asking me, that's what I see as the honest truth. Okay, the oilam is mevakshim over here. Let's go. Okay, you're on. I hope, by the way, after this, we have to have a nigan or something. You know, we got to... Where's Rabbi Kalish? Where's Rabbi Kalish? He makes, he makes a party. We have to do Okay. It. You're on. Hi, how are you? You hear Good. me? Hear you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Rebbe. This is really amazing. And I totally hear and love what you're saying for a healthy growing adult. It's resonating. Yeah. But what would you say to a teen who isn't connected? For example, the, what, what Rebbe said now about the strings of the tzitzis would be a very great analogy, even to an excited little boy who still sees the beauty of Apsharan and tzitzis. It would be a very good thing to say to them, and even to a healthy adult, uh, that would really resonate. Uh, but a teen who isn't in a good place, that wouldn't move him at all. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, I'll regal achas, can you give us some lingo for like better connection for our disconnected teens? I'll tell you the truth. There really is no such thing as disconnected. And a lot of it has to do with the mentality that we have approaching such a person. You know, the way a person is, is that we very often reflect the way people see us. Or in the way, the way Rabbi Nachman of Breslau put it in, in one of the famous pieces in Lukut Miran, is that the way a person is judged by others is very often the way they actually are judged themselves and the way they actually are defined. There's no such thing as a Jew that's disconnected. There's no such thing. You know, someone mentioned before in the previous question, Ravitch and Maya Morgenstern, one of the Tzadikah Amis of the generation. I remember I, I told this to some of the Chavrat Shul recently that I, I, I heard a story from him that he mentioned when he was younger. I can't remember which Tzadik he was by, but he went to a particular Tzadik when he was young. And he mentioned to the Tzadik that he's going through a Yerida. He's going through a difficult time, a time where he doesn't feel connected. 
by the way, Matrivet Shemar, I don't know what it, you know, I don't know what his Yeridas look like, but you know, how have I, you know? But uh, so he said, I'm going to Yerida. You know what the Tzaddik said then? The Tzaddik said, Who told you there's such a thing as Yerida? Who told you there's such a thing as Yerida? Every single moment of life, if you're a Jew, if you're born Jewish, or you converted up Yalacha, every single moment of a Jewish person's life, you are involved in fixing, you are involved in Devekas, you are involved in attachment to the Infinite One. Sometimes, the Rabbani Shalom wants us to fix things on the top floor, and sometimes he wants us to fix things while we're in the basement. There's no such thing as a Jew that's disconnected. The Baal Shem Tov taught that the purpose, the, 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 um, the goal, I'd say the word goal is maybe not the right word, um, the, the, the highest level of Avodah Hashem is what we call the Vekas, right, attachment. The Baal Shem Tov said a person has to be able to learn how to, how to realize and to experience the Vekas while they're in the Yerida, while they're in the low place. That doesn't mean that a person always has the obligation to feel excited. They're not always able to, always capable of feeling excited, but there's no such thing as a Jew that's disconnected. You have to understand, we, we say every day in davening, that Hashem is constantly renewing creation. In other words, you know, I'm sitting on a chair right now, yeah? sitting on a chair. Why is this chair existing? Because Hashem right now wants the chair to exist. What happens, what would happen, let's let's uh, think for a second, what would happen if Hashem would stop thinking about the chair? The chair, like the, the, the nails would fall out, the chair would fall apart, the chair would cease to exist. It wouldn't just break, there is no chair. So what does that tell you about the chair that is existing? It's not simply that Hashem is thinking about us. We exist as a part of Him, Kiviyochel. I know that's a deep idea. But if Hashem stops thinking about us, we don't just have, like, when, when a person has a bad day, it's not that Hashem is not thinking about you. If Hashem wasn't thinking about you, you would cease to exist. If you are breathing, if you're alive, if you exist, even if you're having the worst day in the world, if you exist, it means that you're attached to the infinite one. By its very definition, there's no such thing that, as a Jew that's this, that's this, that's not attached. When you engage in a, whether it be a teenager, a kid, or an adult that is going through a time of what we call yurida, one of the big, biggest things we can do to help that person is even before we say anything, even before we come up with strategies, it's to realign ourselves with the real truth, which is there's no such thing as yurida. What does that even mean to be disconnected? Maybe the person's avoider right now is not in the world of excitement. That might be. His avoider, his arena of avoider Hashem might not be in the top floor. His avoider Hashem might be right now in the basement. And maybe part of his avoider is to slowly but surely climb out of that basement. But if a person is being judged in a way that he's not even in the structure of serving Hashem, he's disconnected, you cannot give a person connection. That is not possible. You cannot give a person amuna. You cannot give a person bitachan. You cannot give a person hislavas. You cannot give a person anushama. That's not possible. All we can do is believe and know that they have amuna, they have bitachan, they have hislavas, they have anushama. Our job is to give them the tools to uncover the amuna, the neshama, the hislavas that they already have. If a person goes into a conversation with another yid, or it goes into the field of hashpah and thinks 
that their job is to give a person emuna, is to pick, is to give a person a place in Yiddishkeit, they are they they are in the wrong profession. They are simply in the wrong profession. That's not what you're doing. That's not possible. And it's 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 belittling to the person that you're dealing with. The tachlis of what we have to do with other yidden is kaidem kol number one, to believe that where they are is where they're experiencing tevekas. They are experiencing attachment by the very and and the proof of that is that they exist. If they were not experiencing attachment, they simply would not exist. And by judging them in that way, by having that frame of reference, and then the question now becomes, okay, what could I do to uncover and to sort of ease the person's um, uh, uh, toil that he, that he or she needs to be involved in to maybe, you know, sort of upgrade in, you know, from the basement to the top floor? Okay, that's a discussion that, that, that we should have. And the Rabbanu Shalom gives a person siyat deshmaya, but... But but the, the assumption that very often we make, you know, sort of engaging in these with these people, the assumption itself is flawed. And when the assumption is flawed and the foundation is 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 incorrect, then nothing's going to work. So that, that that's what I would say is is Aleph is to realign ourselves with what attachment to Hashem really means and really looks like, and realize that there's ultimately no such thing as disattachment and disengaged types of yidin. There are yidin that don't necessarily feel their neshama. They don't necessarily feel uh, closeness to Hashem. That that is a a false feeling. That's just an incorrect feeling. That's a uh, a numbness that has set in. But it's not a real truth. So I, I don't mean I'm not trying to be a politician to sort of like you know uh, avoid the question. But I I feel like the the fundamental uh, perspective. Uh, while engaged with with people like this and with oneself as well, needs to be uh, aligned properly in order to then have the proper aces and to be given the proper siyat deshmaya to uh, to help out another year. Amazing. Yes, we have so many questions. Adelaide you ready? Yeah, I'm, I have no to go. Okay, you're on. Let's go. Um, the Rav earlier uh, mentioned... <laughs> that uh, the, the Rebbe that starts learning Lakuti Maran or Tanya would be asked to leave, jokingly. Um, why is I, it that in... It was one of the <laughs> uh, for another question, but wh- why is it that seemingly, at least in the Litvisha world, the yeshivas that are, that are more into Hasmada and learning are more averse to learning Panimia Satara? In fact, if you go to probably more modern Orthodox yeshivas, you'd be more likely to find a Tzitka Satsadik or a Lakute Maran in those yeshivas than you'd find in a Litvashi yeshiva, like a, a real Litvashi yeshiva. Uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very good question. It's, uh, you know, you, I could take two avenues to answer this question. I could be pessimistic or I could be optimistic. So, I'm going to choose to be optimistic. I, I think I think that the, that phenomenon is a carryover from an earlier time, where in the earlier generations, see, you have to understand, based on what we were talking about before, in terms of what the definition of primisatara is, which is really about getting to the speaker that and 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 the one that's saying the, the the words and not sort of getting lost in the words themselves right 
in the earlier generations, the Shamas were so sensitive. The Shamas were so in tune with the Rabbanu and the Infinite One that they were able to, to feel that Devekas, to really connect themselves to Yisrael with Yivamas, with Mesechus Kedushin. You know, I'll give an example. I remember this. It's just one of these emails that like stuck out of me. You know, I got this email maybe a couple of years ago. Someone emailed me with a question, and it wasn't even. It was worded in the following way: it "says Rabbi Zakdinsky, I'm I'm learning in a kol in Eretz Yisrael, and I had an argument with my Harusa. And this is how it goes: it, Isn't it true, Rabbi Zakdinsky, that if Ramosha Feinstein learned Kabbalah and Pnimis of Torah, he'd be even greater than 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 who he was? <laughs> that was how the question was. Now I was like, uh, like taken aback by that. That's absolutely not true. Ramesha Feinstein, again, first of all, I don't know where, we have no asag of Ramesha Feinstein. Maybe he was involved in Pneus of Tyre. So, but that's not besides the point. Nishamas that are extremely sensitive to the Rabbani Shalom's presence in the world will feel three to the Rabbani Shalom strongly and in a very, very palpable way in every level of Tyre. See, Pnimis Atarah, Kabbalah, Zayar, Kisviari, Chesidus, those are just sort of conversations that the Rabbani Shalom has with us, which are closer to him. But if you are sensitive to him, you could pick up on him even in the most, quote-unquote, mundane conversation. Like I said before, if you have a sensitive ear, even when you're dating someone and the person is just simply talking about their aunts and uncles, you could forge a relationship with who that person is if you're very sensitive. Ramesha Feinstein's Neshama, we have no asage. He was so sensitive to the Rabbani Shalom that all he needed was Nigla. All he needed was Shulchanar. In the earlier generations when the yeshivas were established in Litha, they were established by such huge tzaddikim, such huge Avdi Hashem, that Elokus was, was, was bouncing off the walls in Volazhin when they were learning Shas. And so all of a sudden what happens is that as time moves on, the neshamas become desensitized. The, the, the world, the body becomes more complicated and more complicated, and we build on more and more muscle mass and more fat and so on, where all of a sudden, that same black gemara to our, the earlier generations was f- saturated with elikos and saturated with a sense of godliness to the point of now where it's completely not resonating at all. And this is where the yeshiva world has a very difficult difficult problem, and I'm not big enough to necessarily answer this problem for them, but on the one hand, one of the great beauty and beauties and strengths of the yeshiva system is the fact that it's that it's it's a, it's a continuing messiah, an unbroken chain of the earlier generations. And that's a very, very important thing. By the way, even in Pneumis HaTorah, that is a major rule, that anything new that develops in a person has to be built on the feet of the old. There's no such thing as something new coming up. It always has to be built on the feet of the old. So it's absolutely vital that we have, that the backbone of our Yiddishkeit and our Messiah is authentic, is the way it always was. But here's the dilemma, here's the problem. At the same time, point of Tyre, which is connect to the infinite one, is not, is very difficult for the average Jew to experience in Nigla. So this is where there's this like struggle in the yeshiva world, in those yeshivas that are like named after yeshivas of pre-war Europe, you know what I'm saying? Like those yeshivas that try to be the, that unbroken chain of what Yiddishkeit always was, is that 
if the curric- if the curriculum is the same, but it's not accomplishing the same thing in the neshama, then you have a big problem. And so th- this this is the dilemma that uh, that I think you're describing, which is the yeshivas are stuck between a rock and a hard place. How do we keep the authentic, unbroken chain of what Torah is, and at the same time realize and appreciate that what the curriculum was giving to the Bahram is no longer giving it to them. And so we don't want to veer off because that would undermine what our what our function is in terms of being that unbroken backbone. It, it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult question, but there's no, but but I mean if you're asking me, I mean, there's no there's no question about it that what does God love more, Jew or Tyra? God loves Jew more than Tyra. So at the end of the day, if people are are are, are falling apart, then what we have to realize is that by infusing a little bit more of the heart and digging deeper into those wellsprings of Torah, that's not going to take us away from Nigla. This is also one of the big mistakes that people make, that by learning these in Yonim, it's going to take you away from Nigla. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, it's true that there's only so much time in the day. And so if you spend more time involved in these other studies, it's going to literally take away time from other things. But even if you take a little bit away, the Baba Kama will come to life. And then what the Baba Kama was doing in Belajan will now do the same thing in, uh, in Lakewood, in Brooklyn, in Queens, whatever the place might be. But you, you, the heart has to be healthy and well. And if the body grows, the heart has to grow. And ultimately, and ultimately, you know, going back to the previous question, so practically speaking, so should they learn Likud Rani and Yeshivas? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, it would be nice to have a smorgasbord type of thing where everyone can sort of try things out and 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 figure it out. It's a complicated question, but but ultimately, just to be a male yosher, I, I think that's ultimately the struggle that the yeshiva system has, and 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 it is a legitimate one in terms of not of not um, changing what their identity is, but at the same time realizing and appreciating that to maintain the 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 purpose of their identity necessitates incorporating a deeper element of of of, of tire itself okay here we go next you're on yeah i feel better my my question really borderlines uh previous question so uh just bear with me but being in yeshiva for for you going through the cycle um going to kylo going through the cycle the muster schmuzen the the mahalach never touched upon this if it's so integral and so vital why not and to to use that as a as a hinge to go on to another similar topic how do you really feel yiddishkeit if you don't have that or you weren't given the tools to get that and when was someone supposed to get it um you know there's only 500 people on online that are going to now hear about this what about the rest of the world? They're not gonna. They, they don't deserve Yiddishkeit if this is the, the key. Okay, it's 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 a very very good question. So let me let me let me answer it going a little bit of a different angle than than I went in the, in the, in the couple past questions. You know, um, the body of work that is sort of the um, I guess you can say like the Tarsh of the Chsav, of Primus Torah, that everything ultimately comes from is the Zayar. the Zayar from Shem Chai. Now, within the Zayar, there is a particular section which is the most concentrated 
an essence of all of the Zayar itself, which is all of Pneumus Atayra. And that's uh, five prakim in the Zayar Kaddish, which is called Safra Vitzneisa, the Book of Modesty. And those are five prakim that contain within them all of Pneumus Atayra in its most concentrated form. The Vilna Gaon, the Vilna Gaon, who, by the way, uh, wrote more in Pneumus Atayra and Kabbalah than he did in Nigla. He was Kol Kulai, completely saturated in Pneumus Atayra's entire life. He wrote a Pirish, a commentary on Safra Vitzneisa, and he mamish literally what this Pirish is, is that every single word in those five prakim showing you how that word then evolves into chapters in Zayar and Prakim and Kisferi, and uh, sort of showing how all of Pneum Satara comes from those five books. Now, the Gro writes in the very beginning of his, of his Pirish on that Sefer, he asks the simple question. He says, Why is it called Safra Dinsnais, the Book of Modesty? See, the, the simple way to to explain that would be that, you know, one of the basic rules of Kabbalah is that you have to keep it secret. It's soif, it's secretive. But the Gros says, but I don't get it. Why would you call that the name of the book? Like the name should convey what the book is about, not, not like how you're not supposed to print it. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would it be called the book of modesty, the book that you're not supposed to read? Tell me in the title what the book is about. Says the Vilna Gaon, there's a Vilna Gaon, there's not a Chassid. I mean, he was, he was a Chassid, but you understand. You're not the Vilna Gaon said that the word, the title of Safra Ditznesa is conveying what Pneum Satara is. By its very nature, Pneum Satara and godliness is something that cannot be said. The Rabbani Shloilam cannot be described in words. Those that learn Chassidish Svarim or Kabbalah Svarim will know that one of the most common words, or the most common word, is Bechina. Bechina this, Bechina, what does Bechina mean? Bechina means like sort of, an aspect of, like every single thing is like, this is the Bechina of this, this is the Bechina of that. Like, why are you like beating around the, like tell me straight, like what is it? No, Bechina. The answer is because Pneum Satar, which is trying to give over the Rabbani Shalom himself, by its very definition, that cannot be said. It's a book of modesty. It's a book that's trying to convey something that cannot be said. So it's very, very difficult for a person uh, like a mashkiach or something to give over something and an experience that simply cannot be put into words. So th again, this is another reason why this information of Kabbalah and so on, by its very nature, needs to be something that's a little bit more private and a little bit more intimate and not something plastered on billboards. Not only is it because the information might be misinterpreted and abused, which is certainly true, but it's more than that. It, it, if, it, if it gets to a point of where it can be, it can't, you could point to it and say, this is it, then it's not it. It's not suffered, it's Neus anymore. And so the, 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 the frustration that very often people feel in, that are engaged in Pimisator, which is, I want to just stand on the rooftops and scream to people and just like, 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 like take a picture of this and send it on to every WhatsApp group. Like, do you see what the result is saying over here? There's a frustration in that, but then the person has to realize that there's Hashgaha Pratis. There is divine providence in terms of slowing down and holding back the, the explosion and the, the popularity of Pneum Satyra. And part of it is to keep it pure and to keep it as something that cannot be said. 
there is something there is there is something very important about making sure that on the one hand it's safra, on the one hand it's a safer which is accessible and open, but on the other hand making sure that as we open it up and bring it to the masses, it retains its identity as tzniyasa. And this is, by the way, also why throughout the generations you had some tzaddikim which are more tilted to the side of safra, of getting the information out, and other tzaddikim that are more tilted to the side of tzniyasa, ensuring that it retains its modesty. And they complement each other. This is, again, the, this is a great mystery of creation, how you'll have some in the same generation sometimes even coming from the same base measures. One tzaddik will be screaming, we have to get teach Kabbalah, Pneumus Torah. this is the key to Mashiach, it's the key to Geula, it's the key to everything that's real, it's, it's who you are, it's what you're doing here. And the other tzaddik will say, you can't talk about these things, you're not allowed to talk about these things, it's dangerous. They're both trying to do the same thing, which is making sure Pneumus Torah gets out there, but retains its identity as Safra Ditzneisa. And this is something that's very difficult, this is why Pneumus Torah was always meant to be learned from Rebbe to Talmud, Rebbe to Talmud, because it's very difficult to pick on, to, to really experience the Tzneisa part just from a Sefer. When you go to a Tzaddik and you experience, and you see a Tzaddik and you sort of experience what that's like, then you get it. You, you, it's not something that can be conveyed in words, and that's the point. It's not. It shouldn't be conveyed in words. You have to be able to, and it takes a lot of chachma, and I struggle with this personally, to, to find the right words to try to give over an experience without actually being able to identify the experience itself. It's a very difficult challenge, but that's that's the challenge of, of mashpiyam. That's the challenge of really being involved in Panimus Atar and trying to give it over, of realizing this nuance. And by the way, it's true within the person himself. Even someone that's involved in Panimus Atar will very often experience periods in their life where they just feel that they, they, disconnected or not able to learn it. And instead of thinking of those time periods as like um, outside of Panimus Atar, no, no, those are time periods where you're developing the Mortsnias part. And so this is, you know, this is where, you know, again, uh, sort of like, you know, getting to the crux of the question, which is like this frustration of like, let's get it out there, the schmoozing, like, why aren't they talking about this? Again, like I said, maybe maybe they should be more, but we also have to recognize that that there is something to say about, about speaking around the topic, speaking about it, but not it itself, because it itself cannot be spoken of, if you understand what I'm saying. So it, again, like I said, I'm just being male, it's a difficult task to ask of someone to give something over that ultimately cannot be said. I, ultimately, that is the job of mashpiyam and mashkichim and rosh hashivas and rebbes, but it's not a simple one. It's 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 not a simple, uh, it's, a, it's a tall order. Like I, but the rabbinic wants it from us, so it can be done and it should be done. Merlech. Yes, we didn't even like. <laughs> I almost, I almost took it over. Okay, that's it. Okay, let's go. You're on. Let's go. Hi, thank you for taking my question. I just want to know, as a Yeshua Bacher who learned in Yeshua for many years and uh, picked up our halchim in Derech Hamuser, when we learn Hasidus and we're introduced to new concepts, which sometimes look like Hasira, like the Rav mentioned before. 
So what do we do? How do we don't, I'm sure we don't, uh, we're not weaker what we learned in the beginning. And also just a general question as a piece of advice. If someone would say, if a Bach would say, I'm, I feel I'm regaining a chiyos, I'm Gemara and everything from the yeshiva system. Is there anything that he could also get that Ochasius would be able to offer him? Okay, so let, let's go with the first, uh, you know, part of the question first. When someone is sort of uh, entering into these uh, disciplines of Chassidus and Muslim and so on, in the outs, in, in, initially, they seem to be very contradictory and butting heads, and it's either this or that. But, and, and that's something that I personally struggle with also when I sort of started this, but when you get to a certain place in your learning, um, you begin to see where it's all coming from and you could put them in their proper place to the point of where you realize that although they are telling you different things, but they are both bringing you to the same place. Let, let me explain. The Tachlis is, as, I, as, as I've been talking about uh, really my entire life, but <laughs> tonight, this is all about connecting oneself to the Rabbanishon Telekos, Telekos. Now, in order to do that, you have to answer the question of who are you? So who are you? It's complicated. There are two parts to who we are. There's the Nefesh kiss those that have learned a little bit of Tanya are familiar with this. There's the Nefesh kiss the godly soul. That's the part of you which is pure, holy, transcendent, transcendent. And then there's the Nefesh Bahamas, the part of you which is human, the human part of who you are. In order for a person to experience Elokos, one has to do two different disciplines. One has to raise the volume of the Nefesh kiss and one has to lower the volume of the Nefesh of Bahamas. One has to raise the volume of the godly soul, that part of you that, whose language is the language of Chesidus, the language of Primus HaTorah. And at the same time, one has to decrease and lower the volume of the animal soul, the part of you that's naturally inclined to laziness and uh, leitzanis and taiva and all the inyanim that Musr comes for. Musr and Hasidus are both coming for the same objective, which is allowing you to experience elokus. That's in Torah, that's in mitzvahs, that's in everything you experience in life. But in order to do that, we need two different disciplines. You need a discipline which is about raising the volume of the neshama, and, an, and a discipline which is about decreasing the volume of the nefesh of Bahamas, and they complement each other. And therefore, for a person to be very well-rounded, it's absolutely vital and necessary to work on Moser, to work on Tikkun Amidas, to become a more refined human being. Because you could have a person, I mean, this is something that we, you know, uh, you know, you could have this, where a person is well-versed in Chassidus, well-versed in Pneum Satira. Maybe he's someone that during a Fabrangian or during a Kumzitz or during a time of Isairus, they mamish are tzaddik. And then a few minutes later, when they're engaged in, let's say, a business deal, or they're having a conversation with their wife, all of a sudden they're a bulvan. So what happened? Does it mean that all the Hasidists they were learning was nothing? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that during the Kumzitz or during the Fabrangan and during the, 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 the Shir of Hasidists, their Nishama was on high volume and their Nevesh wasn't engaged. So of course, at that time, they're gonna feel transcendent. But the moment that the Shir is over and now they come back to the Nevesh Bahamas. The Nefesh is the same as it always was, completely unrefined and completely 
uh, egocentric as it always was. So it's absolutely vital for a person to recognize that Hasidus is, 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 is an unbelievable tool in terms of bringing the neshama, nefeshul kiss to the forefront, the godly soul to the forefront. But a person also has to have the discipline of the nefesh of Bahamas, of, Bali, of Musr, and it's all for the same objective. It's all for the same objective. The objective of Musr is not just to make oneself a good person. That, 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 that's not what the Bali Musr were interested in, in producing. They were interested in producing the Vian. They wanted to produce Bali Ruach HaKadosh, which is exactly what the Gedali Hasidus were about producing. But these two disciplines are needed to make a human being into a, into a, a, a transcendent person. Like the Kutzker famously said, right? Hashem said, I want holy people. You have enough, he has enough malach and he wants holy people. To be a holy person, it takes someone who understands and is well-versed in the language of the neshama to be able to learn something where the neshama, where the godly soul says, oh, that sounds familiar to me. That's my first language. That's chesidus. That's penimah satara. But at the same time, to soften and to refine the nefesh of Bahamas to the point of where it could also get on the same page. And the person will, instead of having this, this double life of who am I during davening and learning and who am I when I'm at work, a person has to be complete. And to be a complete person necessitates these disciplines. And again, that's why I feel our generation, the, the complexity of our neshamas, the fact that you have people that, are, that don't feel completely whole in one particular discipline, one particular base medrash, that's a good thing ultimately. It's it's difficult, like I said before, but ultimately it's a good thing because when you put it all together, that's a full person. That's a full Baal Ruch HaKadosh. That's a full Mavakesh Hashem and Ever Hashem. Only when you are able to taste of the waters of of, of the Riyak Kaddish and 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 uh, and, and all the Batimanj of Hasidis and the Ramchal and the Bali Musar. And and obviously we could talk about this also, but obviously with Shas and Paiskim. And to be healthy and normal, to be someone that's relatable to others, that's able to to engage in normal conversations with people, that's that that's a healthy person, a well-rounded person. And you need all these different disciplines to do that. So the, the idea is that that all these streams are ultimately getting to the same place. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget what the second question was. If maybe you could remind me what the second uh, part of the question was. Let's, let's, let's go to the next part because we have a lot of things I want to. I want to. Sorry, I'm not trying to skip it, but I just want to jump in. First of all, all the information that we're talking tonight, I know there are many people who who are used to the, you know, this is all new, and some of it is abstract. I'm just going to ask you if we can um, maybe just water down a little bit. Uh, first of all, what does it, what does it, what are we looking for in terms of feeling? Because I know many people um, have a hard time um, channeling into that, and the question is, what could a person do for those who are used to doing the same every day, learning and davening, and and now there's a new thing coming in there. They're not totally sure what's, what it is. It sounds exciting, but what are we looking for? And maybe the small tips that we can learn, do something new to see, to feel these new ideas. So now already you're getting to a real challenge for me to actually be practical. That's taka. That's taka challenge. Loftiness, so, loftiness is easy. Yeah, do the best we can. Okay, so first of all, if I understood the first part of the question correctly, what does it really mean to feel? Like, what am I, like, 
what does it look, what, what's, what, what is it, you know, my eyes are closed and I'm shuffling, like what exactly am I supposed to be feeling? So, so here, here's an important point. There are two types of pleasures in life, two types of pleasures. There's one type of pleasure, which is all about you. It's egocentric. Uh, the pleasure of sitting down to a steak dinner. It's about you. That's an egocentric dinner. That's an ego egocentric pleasure. That's not the tanug that we're looking for in Avodah Hashem. But there's another type of pleasure, which is a little bit more subtle, which is the pleasure one feels when you're connected to something bigger than you. See, people love getting caught up in like a revolution, right? Whenever there's a revolution, it could be the craziest thing in the world, you know, mamish but it'll sweep through the world. You'll have millions of people all of a sudden falling for like an ism, you know? Why is that? Because there's a very deep pleasure that a person feels when they're part of something bigger than themselves. That's the pleasure that is close. That's the ton of uh, a little bit. That's that sort of a ton of that we're looking for in Avodah Hashem. The feeling of being part of something much bigger than you automatically results in a deep pleasure. And it doesn't mean that we're looking for that pleasure, but when you feel that sense of, of wow, I can't believe I'm, I'm experiencing something big and something deep, like when you're you know, by a concert or something and sort of everyone is singing at the same time and there's that feeling of like, I'm part of this bigger unit. That, that's the pleasure that, that is called the Tanag of Ruchnias. When a person is shuckling and, and swaying and all these things, if the focal point is me, and like, like uh, you know, ho I hope the, that the, my davening is going to get what I'm asking for. That's self-centered. It's not bad, but it's not, uh, that's not the vekas. That's not the feeling of vekas that we're looking for. The feeling of vekas we're looking for is a person that feels at that moment of like getting swept up in the words, getting swept up in the davening. And uh, like, it, it's, it's difficult to convey in words. Like I said, it's hard to convey what pleasure feels like. But the, the closer a person can be to a pleasure that's, less about them, rather about what they're connecting to, that's the Tanag of Avadis Hashem that we're looking for. Um, in terms of practical Eitzes, I, I mentioned this to people before, very often the difference between us and Sadiqim is not our schedule. You know, you could have a guy who his schedule is full of the right thing. He davens, he learns, he goes to work to support his family, not talking about nine. Yeah, maybe he could add some learning. Yeah, he could add some davening. It's true, but but Derek Klal, his schedule is pretty good. So like, so he's looking to grow. He's looking to like uh, deep, you know, to become bigger. When when we think of growth, we usually think of it in terms of adding more stuff. And sometimes, you know, sometimes there's no room for more stuff. You know, instead of thinking of trying to add more things, I, I think practically. Do what you're doing, but just do it deeper. Do it deeper. Chazal, Chazal, for example, made the concept of brachas, that you make a bracha before you eat, before you drink, bracha before you do a mitzvah. Why they make that? One of the basic reasons is to deepen the experience, to simply have the yishav adas. On a very simple level, I was learning this with some of the chavah from Shul last week. What about a simple eight of taking a piece of paper, literally, literally, taking a piece of paper, writing on the piece of paper, the, the, the purpose of my existence is to come close to Hashem. You take it, you fold it, put it in your wallet, and you look at it every hour. That's it. 
while you're working, while you're eating lunch, while you're learning, while you're you know, maybe davening, whatever it is, you open up and you just just remind yourself of that. And when you slowly but surely accustom yourself to just reorienting yourself and reminding yourself of who are you and what are you doing here, then very often you'll realize that what's needed to become a big tzaddik is not a change in schedule, but rather it's just more deeply attaching yourself to what you're doing anyway. So like I said, it, 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 it's, it's, it's consciousness, it's taking, it's doing things a little bit slower. It's appreciating, you know, when you're in the morning when you're putting on tefillin, for example. So it takes a moment to take the tefillin out of the bag. That, use that. So think about what you're doing for a second, that I'm doing this for the purpose of coming close to my creator. And then all of a sudden, when you put on tefillin, slowly but surely, day after day, it'll begin to resonate more. And Bez Hashem, you'll find yourself becoming a deeper person. But like I said, very often it's not about adding new things. It's about attaching yourself more deeply and more, more consciously to what you're doing already. Got it. Okay. You guys want to hop around like three more questions, if possible. And um, we'll in a second. I want to take a little different angle. We've got an interesting question. I really want to con con conquer this for the woman. I see a lot of my husband's friends are getting very energized in Yiddishkeit. But I feel my husband is a little numb, like a doorknob. What, what can I ask, what can I as a wife do to my husband to make him feel real, re-energized, re make, make the Yiddishkeit feel real to him, which will intrinsically help our marriage and our shalom bias? Hi, it's a, it's a hard one. You know, because on the one hand, a wife wants to, obviously, without a question, wants her husband to grow and to be inspired and to, you know, it's good for him, it's good for the whole family. My wife's question. Huh? It's my wife's question. Okay. okay. Well, she, she, she's asking first time for the belt, you know, she's, uh, she's in tune with what's going on in the world, you know. Mitzatsheni, a wife is not a mashkiach, you know, and, and, you know, one of the last things you want as a, as a, as a guy, as a, as a husband is to feel that uh, you're being watched like that. And like, she's taking notes, attendance, you know what I'm saying? It's not something that you want. So what could she do? What about davening for him? What about davening? <laughs> See, davening is a real thing, you know? It sounds like, okay, that's just like a, it, it's a real thing. Very often, very often, that's one of the most important things that we can do is to daven for, for people that we want to grow. You know, there's a story they say, so I think it's a famous story that there was a group, there was a Rosh Hashiva and from an Anhol and so on that went to Rakshach, Tzatzal, uh, about a certain Bachar that they was having an issue and wanted to, they wanted to, you know, kick him out of the yeshiva. So they, they spoke to Rakshach about it and and uh, they told him the situation and Rakshach said, okay, what's the Bachar's name? So he said, uh, Ruven, whatever, whatever the name was. And the Rashad said, no, 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 what, then what? What's his mother's name? So the Rashad said, I, I, I'm not sure. Rashad looked at them. You, you don't know his mother's name? You haven't been davening for this kid? You're, willing, you're kicking him out of yeshiva and you're demanding of him to grow, but you haven't been davening for him? Like, what about davening for him? Like, that's a huge... When you daven for someone, not only does davening work, but on a spiritual level, you're making that bond with that person. And all of a sudden automatically the person will grow through the power of davening. So davening is one thing the wife can do. Another thing a wife can do, honestly, it sounds a little bit simplistic, but just chizik, chizik, you know, instead of, it's no different than a kid, you know, sometimes men are, are just big babies, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, 
you know, it's like uh, if you're Jewish, you can make Jewish jokes. Like as a man, I could say that there, most of the time we're very big babies. And just like babies need encouragement. So the kid, the kid, uh, you know, messes up nine out of 10 times. But the one tenth time that he does it right, that's what the parent focuses on. And that encourages the kid. So that, listen, the guy's not going to shul on time. But if the wife is able to focus in on something that the, the guy is accomplishing and is good at, and you build up from there, you find that nekudatayv, you find that positive point, and you not only internally identify your husband from that point, but you begin to blow the, the, those embers, and from that point, the person will become will become invigorated. Every husband wants to make his wife proud. Every husband wants to be someone that he imagines his wife is taking pride in. No husband wants to be wants to feel like a lo to his wife. Not in gashmis and not in But if the wife can can sort of build up his confidence in that way of saying like, well, I, I know it was so hard for you to get to shul yesterday. And I can't even imagine like what you're going through the day and probably you feel so disconnected, but you push yourself to grow. And I saw that our kid noticed that. And I noticed, and even if you're lying, it, it, you know, I noticed and my, my kid, the kid saw it. And, and I think he was really moved by that. Even if you're making it up, but just that that's something that different chizik. Chizik is, is, in a, is a huge key to, to be a person, you know, that's, that's what people want to hear. You know, no one wants to hear about the negative because he knows what's wrong with his life. He doesn't need to be told that he knows what's wrong. What he needs to be told very often is what's good in his life to be built up from that, from that vantage point. Again, this is all assuming the guy's healthy. Very often the guy, you know, there are situations where it's unhealthy and they have to go to professional people to help this guy out. The guy's in a depressive state or whatever. But again, assuming it's healthy, Chizik, Davin, Chizik, that's what it's about. Okay, you're on. Hi. Um, this kind of just ties into what you just said, but um, you talk about wanting to be something part of something greater. I mean, I know this, hearing all the news of inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. How do you deal with the people? Maybe they feel maybe uninspired because they're maybe marginalized in. in somewhere you're by community standards and maybe single or childless or you know maybe have disabilities whatever you know they don't fit the ideal and so they might feel demoralized in a certain sense you know what's the point of dominating what's the point of doing this that you know i'm never going to be like mrs schwartz down the street with a respected member that so how do you i mean how do you deal of you know maybe instill certain meaning or uh, you know, highest in, the, in your avoda and your dominating, just I like, guess your identity. Yeah. Well, I, I think that itself is the answer. It's a matter of identity. It's really a matter of identity. Yeah. When a person, if a person's identity is defined based on how they're viewed or how they compare to other people, doomed to fail. You're never going to live up. And like you said, there are people that are given difficult situations in life where compared even to the average person, they don't stack up. The person's alone. And it's very difficult if that's what their identity is. But one of the core principles of Yiddishkeit is to have that inner identity that's completely unrelated to to other people and unrelated to how the world might view you. You are a piece of the divine presence. You are the embodiment of godliness in this world. And I'll tell you something, not only is that good for an identity, 
But even the great tzaddikim of old, that's how they lived. I, for example, they say from Avtoi Rapshitzer, one of the great Hasidic masters, that he used to say that when he was young, he went through life imagining as if he was the only person on the planet. And everyone else was just part of his own imagination or part of his, you know, actors in his play. And by doing so, not only did it solidify his own inner identity to the point of where he wasn't embarrassed or ashamed or uh, belittled by where he stacked up vis-a-vis -vis other people, that propelled him also to become a giant and a free thinker and someone who is an innovative and, and creative because and also with, to live with a great sense of responsibility. Because if you're the only person on planet Earth, then guess what? Like, you got to live up to that. So it, it's absolutely vital, absolutely vital for a person to develop a real inner identity to the point of where you could answer that question of who you are without needing to bring up other people. Because if you have to bring up other people to define who you are, it's a losing battle. It's simply a losing battle. Now, this is a, a tall order, you know, but there are certain disciplines that a person can do to at least begin that process of really having an inner identity. One of the most uh, probably well-known ones is hispoidetus. Hispoidetus, which means it's famous in Breslov in particular, but it goes beyond the school of Breslov, which is about simply talking to Hashem, having a conversation about, with Hashem, but not asking things of him. Just talking to Hashem about yourself, as if as if you're going to a therapist, as if you're just talking to a mirror. But just really, really, uh, it sounds silly. It might sound crazy, but talk to Hashem as if you're meeting him for the first time. And Hashem asks you, okay, tell me about yourself. And you start talking about yourself. And you're talking about yourself to Hashem. And then all of a sudden, that's going to cut through all the silliness and all the false senses of self and false identities and in the face of Hashem so to speak you're going to get to the core you're going to get to who you are and at that point it's going to take time don't get me wrong it takes time to do this it's weird in the beginning <laughs> it's uncomfortable but the more a person can become comfortable with literally talking about yourself to Hashem that's a huge exercise in developing this discipline another thing that I would suggest is, and this is specifically a struggle for younger people, to do things that no one knows about. Everything we do, usually, is something that is seen by other people, whether it be people literally seeing it, we do it outside, or it's something that you post about. Or It's very important for people to do things, whether it be mitzvahs, or whether just uh, just things that are that, that are important to them to take something that's important to you and do it privately, do it by yourself where no one knows about it, where you're not even telling your spouse, uh, you're not even telling anyone about the mitzvah that you did, about the accomplishment that you, that you were able to accomplish. And by doing so, a person's able to develop this sense of inner identity, inner modesty. Sneas, for example, is such a huge tool for this. Sneas is not about covering yourself over to make sure that the wild animals of the, the men out there don't uh, attack a person. Modesty is something that men need to perform as well. Modesty means to be able to, to, to do something that, and to be comfortable knowing that no one's going to know about this. To, to, to do a mitzvah where you know that I'm not going to tell anyone about this. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. It's, it's part of this discussion, if that's okay. There's a mice they say from the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov said that, he said this, that years ago, 
there was once a Yid, a very simple Jew, very simple Jew. And this Jew, when he became bar mitzvah, he did some sort of act, some sort of mitzvah, that in heaven, mamish shook up the heavens. It was mamish unbelievable, to the point of where for years and years and years, the effect, the feeling, the, 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 the residual effect of this guy's mitzvah was palpable in Shemayim. To the point of where, but no one knew what the mitzvah was. Like all the malachim felt it, and everyone was talking about it, but like no one knew what the guy did. To the point of where Elionavi, Balshemta said, Elionavi got so frustrated by this. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go visit this guy, and I'm going to get the information. Like it's it's bothering me for years. What did this guy do already to shake up everything so much? So Elionavi came to visit him. Elionavi came to visit him, and he said, "I'm Elionavi. Wow, unbelievable." I asked, I have to ask you a question. There was something you did when you became bar mitzvah. And it's still resonating in heaven. What did you do? And the person said, what I did was between me and God. And Oli Navi said, I, I appreciate that. If you tell me what this is, I bless you with children. I bless you with parnasa, arichas, yamim. I'm Oli Navi. I can do anything I want. You know what I'm saying? I have full range. I'll bless you with anything you want. Just tell me what you did. The person said, I'm going to my grave with this mitzvah being between me and God. And the Baal Shem Tov said, that was the Baal Shem Tov in a previous life. This is absolutely important, especially in our days where everything is out in the open, everything is interconnected, everyone knows about everyone's business. That's that it's it that the, the technology nowadays is dismantling people's core identity. It's absolutely vital for a person to have a sense of modesty and a sense of inner dignity. And one of the ways to do that is literally to do things that no one knows about. And when you do these disciplines, despite those modesty doing things that are private and secret that no one knows about, obviously good things. These are ways to build up an identity to the point of where uh, it, it'll soften the jealousy. It'll soften the sense of uh, loneliness that very often people feel. All right, okay. I think we're going to do one more question. There's one other amazing question I really want to get to, but I, I don't want to cover too much. Okay, Rabbi Yossi, yeah. how can someone who grew up with the understanding that we have to be able to understand what we learn and wrap our brains around the Torah we learn learn Panimia Satira when they can't understand much of the Hasidus that they're learning. Humility. Humility. One of the biggest one of the biggest challenges that gifted people have is that they've never experienced not understanding something. It, it's it's um, it's incredibly important for a person to be able to be comfortable with, with not knowing, with not understanding. Um, I, I, even on a very simple level, this is taking it to maybe a different place, but even very often Rebbeim and Yeshivas, like think about this for a second, who becomes a Rebbe in Yeshiva? Who becomes Rosh Yeshiva? Guys that were Matzliach in Yeshiva, right? And for the most part, those are people that never experienced not understanding Yeshir. Not ever, never understanding Yeshir. And then they're in a position of Chinuch, and then now half the classroom doesn't understand what he's talking about. And, they, and the Rebbe doesn't never experience that. It, it, it's very important for a person's spiritual development to be comfortable and, 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 and okay with not understanding. Not only is that the deeply connected with humility, but that, that's, that, that is itself what it feels like when you come in contact with Hashem. Hashem is not going to be anything that you could understand anyway. If God is something that you know, then then, then finish. I mean, it's not, it's not good. You know, we, we, in these parishes, we're dealing with Avram Avinu, right? 
the word before he was given that hey, right? Which is Hashem. Hey is Hashem, right? Before he was given that hey, his name was Avram. What is the the word Avram, Aleph Bey's Reish Mem equals Bigamachi numerically equals the word Gemar. Gemar means finished, complete, done. Kaka, Zel, that's it. He's done, he's complete, he understands everything. That's Avram without a hey. That's an Avram that does not give birth to Yiddishkeit. That's an Avram that does not give birth to Yitzchak. It's an Avram that's not the Yera El of Hashem Manre. The experience of the Vekist Hashem necessitates humility. It necessitates being comfortable with, with not knowing, with not understanding. Not only does that build a person into an Ever Hashem, that builds a person into a mensch, into a healthy husband, into a good father, into a good mashpia. Nebuch, uh, uh, the worst thing, the last thing we want is a person to go through life and to sort of, end, you know, open the doors of the base manager. Now he's going into life and into the world, coming with this with this notion that everything is going to make sense. Guess what? Life is not going to make sense. And the most and one of the most traumatic things is a person going from a world where after every shear, all the all the knots are tied, every loose end is tied up, and everything's not as perfect. And everything that they've experienced in the yeshiva world is exactly the way it's supposed to be. A buy and rubber, it works out. The, the kash and the rambam is answered. Everything's perfect. And then all of a sudden, you get into the real life, the world that, that, that is actually created from Torah. And then all of a sudden, everything is vague. Everything is gray. When a person experiences only black and white, and then they enter into a world that's gray, they don't have the tools to handle it. So it's absolutely vital for a person to develop a sense of patience and a sense of humility and know that as you're reading chesidus and as you're learning, as you're reading words that you frankly don't understand and it's humbling, good. That's what you want. That's what you need to be a healthy Ever Hashem, to be simply a healthy person and a person that's able to handle the complexity of life. A simple Yiddishkeit, as I said in the beginning, a simple Yiddishkeit is not going to fit a complicated life and a complicated person. You want a complicated, nuanced Yiddishkeit in order to give you the tools to navigate a nuanced, complicated life. And again, like I said, it takes patience and honesty, and that's part of Musr. There's an avoid of Musr that's involved in learning to be satire because it says it's, it's humbling. For the very first time in many people's lives, in many big Masmidim and Bachram's lives, they will come in contact with something that they do not understand. And that's a very, very important experience. Very important. Okay. Rabbi Yossi, final question of the night. Okay. And then we're going to go, then, then we'll start the closing. Final question of the night. It's an easy question. So we're going to give it to you very easily. Rabbi Yossi, I personally had a very hard few years in my personal life. My business has fallen apart. My personal life has taken a toll. And I feel like I'm losing everything I built up the past 15 years of my life. I feel very angry at Hashem. I feel hurt and I feel lost. How could I realistically take my challenges on a deeper level and grow from them? I knew you set me up. I knew you were setting me up. Like easy, no. some The show is a setup. With this, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just a throwaway. Okay, first of all, I'll tell you like this. Being angry at Hashem is absolutely healthy. Absolutely healthy, absolutely normal, and is a sign of a big neshama. Yeah, I'll tell you a word. I'm I'm an Israel, so it'll be chaval for me to go through this whole uh, you know discussions that we've been having without quoting Ishbitzer. It'll be I, my, my Zaidi would uh, you know would, would 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 be upset at me. So you know it says in Pasuk, um When it's talking about Saras, leprosy, whatever. So it says if a person has Saras, then this is the procedure. 
and it describes a person with the name Adam, Adam Kiyabar Basare. So Chazal say that there's many words to, to define a person, Ish, Gever, Adam. Adam is the highest. Adam is like the biggest neshama, the biggest tzaddik. So the Ishbitzer asked, the Meshulayach, or Mordechai of Ishbitz, he asked, why is it saying, regarding a Mitzayra, that Adam Kiyabar Basara, he's a Mitzayra, he's speaking Lashnara, he's so negative, he's pessimistic, he's angry. He's a Mitzayra, he's an eye in Ra, he has a negative eye, and he's an Adam? Said the Ishbitzer. You know why this guy's angry? You know why he's so judgmental? You know why he's so frustrated with everyone and everything he sees is always pessimistic and the cup is is half empty and all that stuff? Is because really he has a big neshama and he has big expectations of himself and he has big expectations of the God that created him. If a person that really believes in God and believes that God is a good God, then you will be absolutely frustrated with the world, with the world that you see. You should be frustrated. The problem with the Mitzvah is, is that he's very religious. So he doesn't allow himself to admit that he's angry at God. So that negativity and that frustration then is aimed at himself. What type of person am I if I'm angry at God? And he doesn't want to admit that either. So then the negativity just flows into other people. So he just becomes an angry person. But the root of his anger is because ultimately he's frustrated with God. Why is he frustrated with God? Because he actually believes in God. If you don't believe in God, then why are you, what are you angry about? You're just a floating piece of dust to the cosmos. Be angry. Uh, you could be uh, you could be disappointed, whatever. I mean, you know, you want to have a better lot in life, but who are you angry at? If a person is angry, that's a, that itself is a relationship. It's a simon of the big neshama. So that's number one: is to realize that frustration and literally having kindness. It sounds it sounds apicarsis, but the, but this is the truth: having kindness against Hashem is normal, healthy, and a simon of someone that actually has a Muna. With that being said, and by the way, I'll, I'll maybe complicate a little bit more. A person can't daven unless you have tainas also. You can't daven unless you have tainas. How can you daven? If a per, davening, davening means a Muna, right? You have to believe, right? Obviously, uh, to, to, if I'm talking, if I'm davening to Hashem that uh, I should have a parnasa, obviously it means that I believe that he's in charge of my parnasa. But if, but, but if I believe in that God, then don't I also believe that maybe me not having pronosis for a good reason? So what am I diving for? The answer is, it's true, but there's also part of you that has a taina. There's a taina. You have a taina. Rabbanu Shlalem, I understand you have your cheshbainas of why I don't have pronosis, but let's, between me and you, God, you could work it out. You could work it out. You could figure it out. There's a kind of that the neshama has, and that actually allows you to daven. That allows you to communicate with the Rabbani Shlalem. Otherwise, it's like a, it's a, it's a trivial, meaningless conversation. There's no, we know this between husbands and wives. Yeah, it's got to be some, it's got to be some energy there. It's got to be some kind of, you got, you got to have some expectation of the other person in order to have that relationship. Otherwise, it's just all two-dimensional. People read books, and if there's a character in the book that's two-dimensional, it's not going to bring you in. You want to have a three-dimensional character. You want a complicated God. Why would you want the simplistic God? Then he's not God. You want a complicated one. And to have that complicated God means he's going to do things to your life that you don't agree with. And good. You shouldn't agree with everything he's doing for you. Why would you? He's God. You're not him. So, of course, it's going to be life is going to be complicated, and it's going to trigger you, and it's going to bring up these questions of, well, if you're God, then why can't you work it out? You know what I'm saying? You said we were supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years. 
We were only in slavery for 210. You worked it out. You worked it out. You can't count from Yitzchak. Yeah, slavery was hard. You have ways of working it out. Come up with a hetter. I asked my rabbi. He comes up with a hetter about my, my pot of soup. You can't come up with a hetter to give me a parnosa. It's a good kasha. That's called davening. That, that's called davening. A, a person that's angry, it's frustrated, good. Does that mean that the person is always able to open the sitter? No. No, they can't always open the sitter. Could be the tightness and the frustration is 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 too severe, is too severe. And just like the Mitzrayah, he has to go to a Kayan, he has to go to a Tzaddik, he has to go to someone that's able to, to talk him off the ledge, so to speak, and to talk to him about the Mechazik, his, his faith in a kind God, a faith in a giving God. But he doesn't need someone to talk to him about God. He already knows about God. That's why he's so angry. He needs to be softened a little bit. Uh, I'll give you an example. I know someone that it was a big Talmud of Rav Palm, and uh, he came to Rav Palm with the following question. He said that a Harusa of his was going through a very difficult time. He lost a parent, a, a difficult time. And, and instead of like learning together, this guy would mamish macharif magabit, mamish blaspheme, curse Hashem, all these things. And, and this person I know came to Rav Palm and said, I, I don't want to hear this. Like, I, what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to like, like it, just take it? Am I supposed to like tell him, you know, you can't talk like that? You know, what am I supposed to do? And Rapam told him what he needs right now is someone to listen to him. And what he's saying right now, it might sound like curses. It might sound like he's complaining about Hashem. And it sounds like he's running away from faith. This is his form of doubting. This is his form of trying to connect back to Hashem. He's frustrated. It's not healthy. Don't get me wrong. The Mitzvah has to go to a Kayan and he has to learn how to deal with his negativity. But this is what the guy needs right now. The last thing he needs is to be told that he's a, that he's a Megadev. That's the last thing he needs. When Eov was dealing with his difficulties in life and all of his friends came to give him chizik and they were telling him, you know, don't you believe in God? God is justice and God knows what he's doing. It didn't help you because he knew all of that. And Apopika, and nevertheless, he was saying to himself, but God could work it out. What eventually allowed Eov to feel a sense of comfort was when God himself appeared to him. When God himself appeared to him and said, I'm here with you. And I'm not able to necessarily explain to you why you're going through what you're going through, but, 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 but you should know I'm going through it with you. And that's ultimately what very often people going through difficulties have to, have to recognize. They have to realize, we all have to realize this, that it's not that God has the key to the prison that they're in and he's like the warden outside the prison cell. He's in the cell with you. He is the, the when you cry, when you have pain, he's feeling pain. So you could say to yourself, why would he do that to himself? Okay, it's Akasha. The Bible has answers. But you're not alone. There's no such thing as being alone. Even in your frustration, you're not alone. All of this is an expression of Vegas. It's all an expression of davening. It's all an expression of wanting. You know, uh, the Ishbitzer said, I mentioned before the Ishbitzer, he said that, you know, Chazal say such a thing that Hashem created worlds and destroyed them, right? Worlds and destroyed them, such a thing. Whatever that means, but Rizal talks about this. It's a big sugi and tire. But the Ishbitzer said, you know why he did that? Because he wanted us to come into the world with a deep, deep memory of once being here and being taken away for no reason. Just to give us a, a sense of wanting, a sense of a taina, a sense of a demand. Because if we're created by God, then what gives us the right to ask anything? Or what, 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 what mechanism inside of us allows us to demand anything? The answer is 
Once upon a time before we came to planet Earth, we had everything and was taken away from us for no reason. And because of that, we have within us a natural desire to want to return to that place of everything. That's a healthy, normal, absolutely even necessary feeling for a big neshama to have. It's only an Adam that eventually becomes a Mitzvah. But that Mitzvah has to go to a Kayan and to work it out. But, but it, it's absolutely normal to have Tainas, for sure. Okay. I feel like we could do this all night because uh, we're just getting warmed up. Okay, let's go to the closing. First of all, I want to greatest shkoyach to Yossi Zakatinsky for coming on tonight, giving so much chizik. I mean, Chazik, such a huge crowd that was here tonight. Toledo was texting. Uh, everybody wants to know if you want to just move to Lawrence. The shul's called Mevach Hashem. You can join every night, every morning. Let's let's get real, right? Yossi, you have to come on every week because you you'll be asking what the program is. That's exactly why what this program is, and you. Uh, the pinnacle of it, so uh, I think we had to wait so many weeks to get you on. But uh, Shem, come on again, again tonight. Cheer, it's chusful that all members of the five towns, the Farakways, by a dedicated Atzal member, and also tonight, cheer should be a schus for Mr. And Mrs. Ismail and Leah Rosenzweig, and Mr. and Mrs. Rina Kotner. It's chus for your family, should have all the broch in the world. Anybody who wants to join the WhatsApp chat, just text me at 848, WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066, and every Sunday I'll send you the flyer. And for all those, again, that are here the first time, every Sunday night at 10 o'clock, we have a Murray de Kashir. And please join us. The same Zoom ID next Sunday, October 31st. We're going straight from this to Rebbe from Goldberg, from Rebbe from Goldberger, Goldberg, from Boca Raton, Florida. We've been discussing being an open-minded Yid, not being locked into one Ashkafa, but taking the best of everything. So um, to be continued, it's going to take it to the next level, a different level. Um, but again, it should be deep and meaningful. Please celebrate to join. Everything tonight's recorded. will be much shared on tomorrow on menachembernfeld.com on his website. And if he has any questions for Rabbi Zakatinsky, his home address is, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> go knock on his door. Could ask him, Avaksha Hashem. And uh, you can ask him. If you want to email the show, come, uh, KMH. KMH. K- at, uh, KMH Lawrence at gmail.com. KMH Lawrence at gmail.com. Please send in all your questions to him. And everybody wants to reach out to Coach Menachem, Coach Menachem at gmail.com. If anything to him, we'll just forward it to him. Again, tonight's Sheer is Sheer 77. And it's also recorded on our personal phone line. It'll be up tomorrow at 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. I go to Yashkoyach to all our advertising sponsors, Liquid Scoop, Rabbi Yenit Chazak, Chayel Kaplan Shmuel Shomer from JCN. And before we go to Coach Menachem and then Rabbi Zakatinsky, it was murdered tonight. It was very deep. We have to listen to Menachem. How many times are we going to have to listen to the share over to really to get down? Because slowly, very slowly. And uh, it was murdered. for coming on. And it was a real uplifting share. Coach Menachem. Yeah, like we heard, this is an, it's a new experience for many. For many, it's a new experience. And like we heard from many people that asked, why isn't it taught? And many people don't even know about this. How could that be? But anytime you're going to go searching for a new experience, obviously you're going to have to experience new things, which you're not even sure what you're experiencing and you'll have to try it out. And like we heard before, it takes time. And like uh, Rabbi Zakatinsky said, you need to slow down and the, and the most important thing is that you might end up in a place where you're not sure, you don't know. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with. You know, till now everything made sense. I was learning, I understood. 
I was growing, you know, hopefully, and everything worked out. I understand the world around me, but that's only nigla to get into nister. Going like we like like we said a little bit deeper, the connection is obviously we will experience new things um, with humility, like we heard, and uh, I think like like we heard the shmok, let it slowly, let it set set in with uh, having somebody to talk to. It could be a rebbe we can learn with, or you can reach out to Rabbi Zakhnitsky. So thank you very very much for tonight for the whole thing, and Mr. Uh, Shem, we should be able to take what we could. And grow. Shkoyach. We all see. It's called the, 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 the leftovers here, the Mavakshi Hashem, the 273 people, the Mavakshi. Leave us with Chizik. You know, very often when I speak, um, I'm a little bit self-aware. So uh, I know that sometimes when I speak, it's hard to, you know, to tell someone else what I talked about. So let me just end with a story. It's, you know, at least a story you can take away. Personally, one of my favorite stories, so people that have heard me probably heard this before, maybe it's a famous story already, but it personally is one of my favorite ones that uh, resonates with me very strong. The Maisa goes that the Chais of Lublin, the seer of Lublin, so he had a minute, his custom was that every Thursday night, all the poor people of the town, the, the surrounding uh, Shtetlach, would come to the Chaiza, and all the money that he gathered with Pidyonis, people visiting him throughout the week, he would use that to give out uh, tzedakah. And the way it worked was that you would go to him and he would ask you how many children you have and what your situation is. And based on that, he would determine how much you need for the weekend for Shabbos. Now, his Indian was, though, that if you can show that you're a mishpacha, if you're related, he'd give you a little bit more. Okay, that was his minute. So there's a, the story goes that there was once a Yid, and this Yid, uh, you know, maybe instead of uh, looking for a job, you know, he put in a lot of research to figure out how he was related to the Chayza, to get a little bit more. So fine, but you know, how did he do it? So it has to become a whole Megillah, second and second marriage, cousins, third removed. Somehow he found himself connected to the Chayza. So he goes online, he's all excited, waiting for that extra bonus, you know, and he comes into the office. The Chayza says, Nurbiyad, how many children you have? What's the situation? So he goes to the Chajvin, and the Chayza says, fine, so this is the amount of money. And he looks at me and says, Rabbi, Mishpacha, mishpacha. So I said, I'm sorry, I don't know, how are we mishpacha? Okay, so he takes up the paper, you know, the whole thing. Eventually, uh, we're related. So the chayzeh says, nah, distant relatives, distant relatives. Not good enough. So the guy feels dejected, crestfallen, he leaves the office. Meanwhile, one of the great Talmidim of the chayzeh, I mentioned before, is very sharp and uh, mischievous sometimes also. He sees this guy come out with a negative look on his face, which was uncommon. You should feel, feel strengthened by it. So he goes over and he says, what happened? So he tells him a story that, you know, he put in a lot of research to find out that he's a relative. And it turned out that the Chayza said, ah, distant relatives. So the Chayza said, I'll give you an answer. In a few minutes, the Rebbe, the Chayza is going to go daven mincha. Okay. And his minute was that he daven for the Amit. This is what you do. You push your way all the way to the front. You be a chas. You push your way all the way to the front. And the Rebbe is going to say by Chazar Sashatz, the Zoycher Chaz the Ovas, that Hashem remembers the greatness of our ancestors and brings the redemption to us. You scream out when he says Zoycher Chaz the Ovas, you scream, ah, Vaiter Kreiv, distant relatives. That's what you scream out. So, okay, it's Neitza. So he goes and he pushes away up, and the Chaz Davini, the Zoycher Chaz the Ovas. And the guy screams, ah, distant relatives. The Chaz's mom is shaking from that, you know. 
So Chayzeh finds him after davening and gives him everything he has. All the money he has in just gives it all to him. What do you take away from that, Maisa? What is all Pnimis Atara about? There's no such thing as distant relatives. There's no such thing as distant relatives. When you get to the core of Yiddishkeit and the core of Torah, then you realize all there is is one thing. There's no such thing as a Jew that's far away. There's no such thing as an experience that's empty of meaning, empty of depth. Everything is Everything is saturated with depth. There is no such thing as Vaita Kraven. That's uh, honestly uh, one of the most important lessons that 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 Yiddish guy really has to has to offer a person that that sense of connectivity, that sense of 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 there should not be in your in your vocabulary this concept of distant relatives, this concept of being disconnected. The word you read, the, these are words that simply should not exist. They 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 do not exist. Hashem should help us. Each and every one of us should be mechuzik and, and find that chizik and find that iskarvus and uncover the emuna, the bitachan. The, the Hislavas and the Shama that we already have. We should all experience that. VS Gold Center. Amen. Zakatinsky? I would give you a hug if I was able to. I feel Brahim. it. It's a virtual hug. I'm just going to read you the last message and then we're going to say goodnight. Thank you so much for bringing on Rabbi Zakatinsky. It was a huge chizik for me. Please bring him back again and again and a bottom like him that talk about Panim and Satara. Good night, everybody. Good. See you next week, October 31st. Rabbi from Goldwell from Boca Raton. Yeah. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.